2: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM
3: Morning all, just popping in for the day to see that you're okay Just, you know, I'm around and I said I'd pop in and check out on my people and see that you're all doing alright I sure wasn't doing nothing else anyway when you're sitting looking out at the rain. 1850-715-996. Text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email is opinion at 96fm.ie. Later on, we will be finding out the latest developments in the Madeline McCann case.
4: We might end up with a situation where, you know, it's widely believed that he was responsible but he'll never be brought to justice.
3: That's Martin Brunt of Sky News. I've been speaking to him about the developments in Germany. That's coming up uh, throughout the course of the morning. And also, why on earth do 84 people out of a population of 4.5 million get to ban something?
0: Not just the tip, up to the grip. So get him up there, girl.
3: Shouldn't even be playing that now. It's banned. (laughs) Anyway, first of all, that and lots more besides, first of all, to too sad news and I was very, even though I kind of knew, I think we all kind of knew that it would come eventually, but it was very sad to see the press release land in my inbox yesterday from the Everyman uh, to confirm that the 2020 pantomime, which was due to be Aladdin, has been cancelled because of the limitations imposed upon us by the coronavirus pandemic. Sean Kelly is the CEO of The Everyman. Sean, good morning. Hi, Peter. Good morning. Sean, I think Happy. we all knew it was coming, but uh, it was sad to see. What's the decision based on?
5: Um, well, really, it's just, its a, first of all, it's a, it's a question of public safety, but it's also a question of numbers. Um, Panto is, very, is a very special show, um, and it means an awful lot to us, but it needs to operate on a certain scale, to work, um, we you know we have 652 seats in here. You really need to be selling you know all of them to make the panto viable and. With the current restrictions with the indoor or the cap on indoor gatherings at fifty and likely to increase to maybe a hundred um we 'd get maybe about eighty five seats max, so you know there 's no way it would be viable under those circumstances and there 's no prospect of that changing time in the immediate future and If we were going to mount the panto you would we 'd want to be starting now rehearsals would be starting soon, and everything else so we we had to make a decision um, i mean we were very reluctant and it was very sad, but there was no. There was no other decision to reach, really, in the end, no matter how we looked at it, unfortunately.
3: You say only 85 seats could be occupied. About how many crew are involved uh, in a panto, Sean?
5: Um, Well, it it employs, it provides season employment for about um, 85 people in total. So that's 85 um, artists, actors, technicians, um, set designers, lighting designers, etc., who were really dependent on that seasonal uh, seasonal employment, and you know, to finance their Christmas, obviously as well. There are a lot of them were married. When when would they
3: start kids. working, like Sean? When would they actually start collecting a salary in in the um, one up to Panto?
5: Um, in total, it's probably about the average would be about three months out. But uh, you know, set the set design work and things like that might start a bit earlier as well. I mean, we start having our first kind of serious Panto meetings about March. And, uh, you know, planning, you know, how, how we're gonna, how it's gonna shape up and what the title's gonna be and how it's gonna work. So it kinda, it starts from there and then people start joining the team, you know, over the course of the summer and into the autumn then as well. So um, so even if we had started now, we'd been kind of late anyway. But um, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a huge undertaking. It operates on a bigger scale than anything else we do here, just by virtue of the of the, of the size of it and the number of people that come to attend it. It's and easy, highest, easy, pick-
3: easily your yeah. biggest show in the whole calendar, isn't it?
5: Um, it is, yeah. I mean, we're dependent on ticket sales for about 92% of our income. 20% of that every year is panto, so it's the show that sort of subsidizes everything else and kind of makes a lot of the operational make financial sense. In there's still a lot of work we do with it's non-commercial work with, you know, supporting younger artists yeah. and putting on shows that, um, that need
3: financial support. Yeah. So new Pento shows, new drama, out. new stuff that we, we might not get to see were it not for the financial support garnered by the everyman from a panto.
5: Yeah, and that support, I should say, comes from the people of Cork who come out to see us. That's you know, they're the real supporters of the Everyman and of the Panto and of the other work as well. So, but yeah, so without the Panto, it's a it's a huge blow to us and to a lot of other people as well, and to uh, the sixteen to fifteen children normally perform in the Panto every year, yeah. and that's a lifetime memory. Their for little hearts will be broken, you know. And yes, yeah, they will the they would have assumed at the start of their year that that would be something that would be happening for them, but. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, we'll try and make sure that there's no disappointed children where we can, or you know, people might be able to be part of next year's show. But it's still a big, um, it's a yeah. big blow.
3: We've had, of course, a very happy uh, relationship with the Everyman Panto for many years now here at ninety six Yeah, and we, we we so look forward to our big night and the special nights involved. It's going to be a huge part of Christmas in Cork. Gone.
5: Um, yeah, it is. It's just, it's a family tradition for so many people. Um, you know, it's about roughly 35,000 people come through our doors for the Panto every year. And, you know, there's a lot, it's a real family occasion. You know, you see several generations, grandparents, parents, young children coming to the show together in groups every year. Schools come in groups. Um, you know, there's, you know, lots of other people that attend. And there's lots of grown ups that don't have kids who just attend, come every year just because they're, they're used to it. Um, and yeah, so it's a, it's, it's a it's a very special time, I suppose, as well. I and it's an evening has,
3: out because easier. people go for a bit of dinner beforehand, a pizza or something, and all the kids are excited, and there's selection boxes and chocolates and Santa and all this. It's it's just such a it's such a beautiful part of a childhood and family Christmas. It'll be heartbreaking to see it go, and I expect Sean, you'll be the first of many.
5: Um, yeah, I mean, given that it's the cap is a hundred on any indoor gathering and that includes performers and staff. It's hard, you know, I think there'll be, a, you know, there'll be a lot of shows, Christmas shows, whatever, you know, anything that operates on a large scale with all those shows unfold, which will leave a lot of, you know, artists and actors and, every, and technicians and everybody else out of, out of work as well.
3: How close are we, Sean, to this uh, pandemic uh, threatening the future of venues like the Everyman, like some of them have closed and, and we wonder will they ever open again?
5: Um, yeah, well I think we're here now in the, in that it, it is a serious threat to our future. I mean, we're taking actions now that we believe will safeguard the everyman's future and people are donating in large numbers, which we're incredibly grateful for. Um, uh, but if, if, without some sort of external intervention the threat uh, the entire cultural infrastructure in this country um is under threat right now you know that's not something that's down the road it's here now
3: does the department of arts and culture have a role to play here does it need to step up and recognize and assist
5: um i mean yes and i mean there is a small capital grant scheme up to 10,000 euro to help venues towards reopening or you know, purchasing you know the things you need to do sanitizations Stations, uh, screens, and all that. Um, the Arts Council have also recently announced an emergency stabilization fund, um, which we which we'll be applying for, um, and hopefully that that will help us. Um, now there, you know, there was you may have seen it was twenty five million announced as a contribution. By the government towards the arts um, to help to, keep, to help stabilise our our cultural infrastructure. Um, but I mean, as an example, New Zealand at the start of the summer, a country with a similar population announced and, a package of 175 yeah. million dollars. Um, Britain um, announced 1.5 billion. Yeah. So per head of population, that works out in in Britain at about 25 euro. Ours works out at five euro, roughly. Yeah. I mean, Northern Ireland, a country with the, obviously or, Piece country with a fifth of the size of our population got 33 million sterling. So you know we are. While what while, while what has been announced will obviously be a help and hopefully it will it will make things. It's better nothing
3: like, and able. I know I'm going to say it because I don't know if you you want to, but it's nothing like what's going to be needed.
5: Um, no, it's not. I mean, you know, I mean, there's no there's no point in putting a tooth on it. it. Needs it needs to be at the level that it is in other countries and. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Boris Johnson's Tories aren't known for massive public investment, but that's where they're at with it now anyway. So, um, you know, we are lagging behind other countries, but that's not new in the arts. We've, you know, historically, we've always invested less in, in, in the arts and culture than other countries.
3: OK, Sean, I'll leave it there for today. Hopefully the next time we talk, it'll be on, on happier terms. Just before I let you go, when was the last time the Everman didn't have a panto?
5: Um, I think it was the late 1980s. There was a time in the 80s uh, when The Everman closed for a few years. when cin- It had been a cinema, then it yeah. closed and it reopened its current guise in 1990. So I think it's been almost three decades. Um, but we are absolutely determined Panto will return in 2021. It's, um, it's, it's a break. It's not, it's not the end. The show absolutely will go on and be back.
3: Okay, good to talk to you. Thanks very much. That's Sean Kelly, Chief Executive of The Everyman. No Panto. Uh, there this year and the first of many cancellations unfortunately 1850
2: 715
3: 996
2: This is Court's Gold Imro award winning talk show The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Call
6: us
7: now
2: 1850 715 996 On Court's 96 FM
3: if I know her, and I think I do, my next guest is heartbroken this morning. Catherine Mahan buckley good morning to you.
8: Hi, PJ. How are you?
3: I'm not too bad. How are you, yeah. girl?
6: Um, I'm, you know what? It, it's always, it, I, I, I don't want to say it's like a death. It's not like a death because I, I keep saying to myself, um, I have a roof over my head, we food in our bellies, and we're safe. But it was a huge and hard decision to have to make. And in fairness to Sean... And Julie and Ted, you know, at the end of the day, we thrashed everything out. We looked at it and it wasn't viable in the, for two things. A, I didn't want to compromise the show because I think that would have been very unfair to children who and the tradition. We've built up such an amazing product and that has proven year in and year out that the audience, I always say, if, if you know, if it tell, the audience tell you how they feel about what you do, not that you tell the audience, and um, yeah, it was I knew it was the right thing to do.
3: When did you get the, the, the feeling, Catherine, that you'd have to
6: From day one I kept saying it and they were all laughing at me, really that not just no, I'm not just saying the team, but when I say to people, I can't see a panto going on, I can't see the panto, and they're saying, Would you ever get over it? This is March, this is April. I don't know, I just got this innate feeling. Yeah. About this, and I thought, you know, and like PJ, I wasn't dramatic about this because, like, at the start, I was in total denial mm-hmm. about this COVID. I was actually saying, Oh, for God's sake, it's only a flu. What you? Get Get over it.
3: Don't you, be. you and thousands more, like.
6: <laughs> mean, and do you know, I mean, it sounds awful to think that when we, we were doing a show in the Cat Club, um, we had our drama show going on, and we had to wait until uh, Leo Varadka said we're cancelled. And I'm ashamed to say it, but when I met the staff, I said, "Lads, this is only just going to happen for a while," and and then and I I hate to say it, but I will say it. We went to the pub for a cup of coffee and one had a drink and said, "Sure, we're having a two week break. And we'll be back." That'll just tell you how I think I don't know were we stupid, naive.
3: No, no, I, like I don't to... think so, Catherine. I think you're speaking for tens of thousands of people who thought the same thing.
9: Do you know? And I'm... I
3: have to say. Um, I wanted to think the same thing. I was bombarded, as you would be in this old job, yes. with information from all over the world, and, yes. and my wingman, Fergal Barry, su- supplying me with stuff from all over Asia, where this thing was just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Yes. But I still wanted to believe, Sure, we would all be granted a month? Yes,
6: absolutely. We'd made out, there was two weeks, and then we'd have the Easter holidays, and uh, we'd be back, and we were going to be going back into the Cat Club, doing the same show again, and it's like, I, 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 I suppose, in a way, I'm glad that you know what, we don't know what the future holds. Because if I had thought the journey that I've been on, um, and I, I, I keep saying to everybody, uh, name every emotion in the book, and uh, I would have had, I could have experienced that just before breakfast, let alone yeah. you know, just what the day will bring. But it was, it, um, you know, when we he sat down, and I will say, and I want to thank Sean and Julie and Ted. Like, they, you know, they all gave their pound of flesh to what it was, but they looked and said, it's your call in one way, Catherine, even though, and, you know, they supported. What what I had to say was, this isn't viable, this is not viable. And there's a number of reasons why it wasn't viable. Number one, like, how would you do social distancing on the stage? Number two, you're bringing children in, you're telling them they can't do what Panto is about be involved in the production. So you couldn't get them to, you'd actually actually tell them to be mute. You'd be robbing them of something that they were used to. Yeah. Um, and then, they, you know, even starting rehearsals, somebody come in not feeling well, everything closed, you know, closing down, yeah. and everything. And it would have been just a nightmare. And I would have think I thinking from, from say, um, the everyman's side of it, our side of it, I think we'd have been living on nice edge and I don't know whether we'd have come through it from a health point of view. You know,
3: I was thinking of something, and yes. the way a set moves yes. at a panto. The yes. set moves because the crew move the set.
4: That's right.
3: And surfaces? Yes. Contamination? Yes. You know, yes. I- yeah. for fraught with risk.
6: Yes, all risks. And um, and then you see, I, I just feel, okay, please God, it will be just for this year. Um. One doesn't know. No, I keep saying to everybody, we're walking in the desert, every single one of us, yeah. and we just don't know what when we turn that over up over that hill, what's going to be the next thing. But I, you know, I just wouldn't want the children then to kind of, you know, we 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 plan, We were talking about could we make it a smaller one? Could we make it? It just wasn't. You know, you can't take away what the memory of, of, of that excitement of no, you no, no. And it's the flow out. I mean they go out into the McCurtain Street, it's all of McCurtain Street, you know, the restaurants and everything, they're all going to be suffering as well, you know, it's just a knock on on, mm. on one. And I suppose for our young performers yeah. where I always say that's where we all started. Yeah. Do you know? Um, but look we'll make up I suppose from our point of view, from our young performers we will come up with something else, with an idea for them so that they won't be robbed of it. You know, yeah. um, I suppose I'm i delighted to, know, to say that the Academy is back and we're doing mini summer camps for our children. This, you know, we're doing one class at a time. And um, I, you can see, you know, what, what is PJ that's out there? People are so scared, so afraid. Yeah. And when even when the parents came and I brought in consultants, they advise me what to do and how to do it. Every staff member is COVID compliance certified. And when you meet them at the door and, you know, you can see the fright of the first day and then the second day it relaxes and it's like third day, wow, they totally trust us again, do you know? Yeah. And I say, to the, I say to all the little ones, listen, at the front door, it's the new world. In here, it's the old world. And they go, yeah. yay! And I say, when you go back out again, it's the new world. well, we'll get over it. And I think it's nice to kind of feel, make them feel... Yeah, we can move on, yeah. do you know?
3: You've been, you've been doing this, Panto, for 26 Six. years. Exactly, exactly.
6: Yeah. And somebody said, no, you're going to have a good Christmas. And I have to say, I got a lovely t- um, email last night from Rory Buckley. Rory was in all the early uh, productions. I right?
3: recognize that name.
6: And yeah. he's, from, he's living in Australia. Nice. You possibly do know him. And he sent out and he said, Kate... Now is the time to come out to Australia for Christmas. You have a break. So I agree.
3: You can't get into Australia <laughs> and at the exactly, moment. Yeah. And, and if you can, you get locked down. And,
6: and I can tell you, you wouldn't get me into a plane. <laughs> so
3: that's another casework at the moment. Catherine, I'm, yes. I'm, I was gutted for you yesterday. Um, but But I think we all in our hearts know it was coming.
6: Yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, I suppose the the word of encouragement that I've got from people and even from reporters who have texted me and said, very hard decision, but the right decision. And that is, you know, I suppose that has helped me. Yesterday, I felt I buried somebody and that was how I felt. I couldn't even talk, Uh, even though I knew, you know, I knew it like we knew two weeks ago, three weeks ago that we had to make those decisions. But look, I suppose at the end of the day, and I'd like to say this, um, PJ, you know, we're you know the COVID, now, like I would say, we're all in the same storm. We're all going through the same storm. Not all of us are in the same boat. And please bear a thought for those wonderful performers, the crew, the creative people, who the panto was three months' work for them in the year. That's a huge amount of work. And, you know, I, I hope that they will not be forgotten and that our government needs to make sure we mind them because at the end of the day, what you don't want is to lose them.
3: They have rent to pay. They have bills to pay.
6: They do.
10: In
3: the first quarter of 2021, a very bleak quarter of any year Absolutely. is the first quarter. Absolutely. So th- that's, that's their survival package right. for that's three right. months.
6: And I keep saying to everybody, all performers, you know, they're the, they're the longest, People that have to go to college, they start at three. Would you believe to do their training, and then they don't start making money really until their middle twenties. So you can imagine going to college for that length of time to get a degree for yeah. for the art that you do. So it's it's not like people sometimes feel, oh, it's, it's a lovely little kind of little thing you do, you know, and you kind of I resent it because I think. No, these are artists. These are people that bear their souls. And hours
3: and hours and hours. years and years Absolute of practice space. and training.
6: Yes, yes. And you don't get
3: stops. that good by waking up.
6: No, you don't. You know what I mean? And we need to make sure that we don't lose them. We do really make sure we don't lose them. Okay. Um, it's, you know, but I suppose I'm, I'm a great person belief in belief and hope. And I, I would say to you, pantomime is as old as time and it must be preserved and it will fly again in the new world. It,
11: but, here's, here's
3: a question that's come in Catherine yes. which might have been better pressed to Sean but yourself as well. Would it be possible to set up some digital cameras and, and live screen or live stream rather a pantomime and I, have people pay to see it online?
6: Um, it's something that we could talk about, certainly. Um, I. I I'm not knocking any ideas at this stage. Um, I don't know what the the I'd have to kind of go into you know the business Aye. element of all of that as you can imagine, and just to see would it be viable. I'm sure if it is, Sean is so proactive. And can I say as well to congratulate Sean and Julie? You have no idea how proactive they are in the Everyman. My gosh, they do need to know to be rewarded or acknowledged from Cork eventually, of yeah. the amount of work. These are all people that are silent in the background yeah. and sometimes we forget them. But they won't be forgotten in my eyes because they have... They, I, I feel so sorry for them and I keep saying it all... Not that I don't feel sorry for them, but in the sense of I worry for them. Yeah. And I even say to Ted because Ted is on the board of the Everyman, I keep saying to them, make sure you, you mind them. Yeah. Because they, we, they must be minded, like our artists must be minded. This,
3: this, this, this industry is precious and dear to us all, and there let's is. hope that it gets over Absolutely. this. Catherine, Absolutely. I'll leave it there with you That's for today. Fine. We'll talk again soon sometime, I hope, in happier circumstances. That's Catherine Mahan-Buckley, uh, producing and directing the panto at the Everyman for the last 26 years. There won't be one this year. I I, I think I said this in May. They definitely said it in June that we wouldn't have Panto. I I said it in April we wouldn't have jazz. I don't want to be a harbinger of doom. But I see a very, very strange and bleak Christmas in Cork this year. Sadly, very sadly. Uh, Kate says the families should buy tickets anyway in order to support the industry and the Everyman could run a scheme like that. Morris, I have an idea. PJ, the government should book out the Everyman for a couple of weeks because with the debacle over the PUP and Simon Coveney's free car, the Doyle is the best comedy show in town at the moment. Don't get me started. I was away for a few days. I was up north. I went up to a gorgeous little place called Tarnalock up in County Antrim for a few days. and, And, you know, when you don't leave Ireland, it's hard to avoid the news as hard as you try. And it was kind of at arm's length watching talking about pantomime, watching the pantomime that we've just had in, in the Oireachtas for the last uh, week and a half. And I was thinking, when they bring back Oireachtas' report, as they probably will um, at some stage bring it back, or at least the week in politics, they're going to have to change the signature tune. They really are like Tom Barry says our entertainment industry has been decimated by this pandemic and the government is not doing enough to support it. And it's really bad because so many people will lose their businesses. 1857 15996.
2: This is Court's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
6: Text or WhatsApp now. 083
2: 396 96 96. On Court's 96 FM
3: lots of people saying you could put a panto online, do some kind of a a panto production, put it online and the people would be happy to pay a fee to get a link. I know in the UK there's a couple of places doing shows in small or even empty theatres or big theatres with tiny crowds but they are filming them or they're streaming them live and you pay to get in to see it online so it's possible to do it Wonder will that happen? Eighteen because there are going to be loads of panto's just not happen, which is so so sad. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six is the number. Uh, Jamie, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? Good, good. Now you were. Wait, when did this happen? Over by the lock.
12: Um, Saturday night around nine
3: pm. Okay, describe what happened. So
12: me and my friend just decided to go for a walk around the lock. Um, so we entered the lock just from the alley closest to Annie Max and. Um, as we were walking we noticed this um about six foot one, six foot two, uh, ginger male with a black jacket, um, dragging this uh girl of Asian ethnicity across the lock by the arms. Nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: What time was this? About nine o'clock. Nine o'clock. So he literally has her by the arm was she was she stumbling after him or walking after yeah, him?
12: She was stum- she was stumbling already. Well her legs are kind of falling behind her a bit and um you just walked across the lock up around the corner by the Hawthorne bar and um, we kind of realised that this wasn't normal behaviour, you know, so um, we decided to kind of follow up and intervene on it. Was she screaming? Was she pulling back? No, no, she wasn't screaming at all. And um, there was, as he went around the corner, there was another male about five foot eight, kind of tank complexion, um, who had followed them around the corner, so we thought, oh, like, another good Samaritan, you know. But um, it turns out that wasn't the case at all and that they was kind of... Involved in it too, so we had to. We kind of circled them and followed them for so about a
3: while. So, so, so the guy with the with the ginger hair and the black jacket, who's who's dragging this poor woman yeah. up yeah. towards the Hawthorn, and this is an area yeah. mo- many, 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 many people will recognise. Yeah. He's met by another person.
12: Yeah. So as he goes around the corner, this other person kind of follows him around the corner. Yeah. So we thought that male was going to be intervening too, but um, that wasn't that that wasn't the case. Did Did he catch hold of her as well? Excuse me, sorry. Did he catch hold of her as well? No, no, no. He was just kind of they were, He was just kind of um, involved in the situation. Um, so I suppose they kind of went around the corner, and um, you know, I suppose I intervened at first and asked, "Was everything okay?" And that it didn't look right, and they were kind of very pushy in the fact that they wanted me to leave. So I kind of me and my friend Dylan kind of walked back and kept an eye on it, and um, uh, they walked back into the lock then, and um, I suppose two of them sat down. The, the smaller man and the, and the woman and um, the taller man started publicly urinating in the last so we realised that this really was getting out of hand so as we walked over um, as we finished she put her hand in his pocket and took what I presume to be her phone out of it right. and ran up the road at the back by the Hawthorne Bar towards Glacsheen Road and the ginger bell chased after her so we chased after them Right Did you catch them? We did, yeah, yeah, So I'm approaching. So the smaller man was like about 50, thirty meters behind. So we asked him what was going on, and he said that, um, oh, that this was his friend's girlfriend, and it was okay. So, um, it, I asked him what his friend's girlfriend's name was, to which he didn't know the answer. So, and your friend doesn't know your own your own friend's girlfriend's name, you kind of know something's wrong. So we chased it down and intervened in the situation. Anyway, yeah. nice.
3: Right. And what was the what was the outcome?
12: Um, I suppose the outcome was that um, she, we kind of intervened and kind of. I started talking to him, and uh, she managed to slip away into her accommodation, and um, I suppose he started getting very aggressive towards me. um, Is he a local guy? um, I don't know. I've never seen the man before. To be
3: honest. Yeah, but did he have a local accent or what?
12: No, it was kinda of, like I was going to say, it was kinda of more of a country accent. I'm a bit of a culture myself, so I well <laughs> okay. but um, but uh, yeah, we intervened and he started getting aggressive towards me, asking us to leave and all this stuff and questioning him. And um we we just rang the guards and the guards <laughs> uh, So how really far up
3: had you moved now? You'd moved up past the Hawthorne, up there into Hartlands <laughs> Avenue, I take it, was it?
12: Yeah, we were around uh, we were around the area of Glassheens Oregon's Road.
3: Oh gotcha, okay,
12: okay. Yeah, okay. yeah,
3: yeah. And it just did it just Fizzle out of a own accord or
13: what?
12: Yeah, so I suppose um, he kind of started getting aggressive towards me, and kind of was really adamant that we leave. Um, he told us the girl that was his girlfriend, and um, then I asked her, asked him her name, uh, which to which he didn't know, and I asked him why he didn't know, and he said because he'd only met the girl today. So then I kind of when he started kind of catching him out a bit, kind of intellectually, he started getting very aggressive. And yeah. Um, yeah, started kind of running towards me and trying to, trying to kind of hit me and stuff like that. So, Do you think uh, he'd
3: drink, or anything or anything other, uh, shall we say, performance-enhancing substances?
12: Um, to be honest, I I wouldn't be too sure, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, because yeah. it was uh, fairly ridiculous behaviour. Like uh, yeah. so, once we started ringing the guys,
3: he kind of ran, he ran away. Oh, did you did you file a guard report? You did. We did, we did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. obviously no, you didn't hear anything back from that. Um, well the
12: the the Gertie have, uh, I suppose it's their own confidential um, information, but they've been I walked down to Anglesey Street that night at about midnight to to kind of make an informal statement as well. And they've they've been uh, nothing but fantastic throughout the whole entire process. I really have to take my hat off here and do the fantastic work that they've been doing on it, you know.
3: What do you think you you, you intervened in, Jamie? Have you, have you been um, thinking about this since? I have, yeah, I, I,
12: I'm fully of the opinion that it was um, 100% calculated planned, uh attempt to sexual assault this girl by these two males, you know. But as I said, I can, couldn't say 100%, but from my own analysis, that's what I, what I really feel I like intervened. Yeah.
3: You said she, she, she looked Asian.
12: Yeah, she was a, Asian ethnicity. Yeah yeah. yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. We're talking a lot in the last few days about trafficking and people coming in from <laughs> overseas and not even knowing where they are. And then you mm-hmm. see, th- and then you see this. Well, I
12: know, um, you know, I'm not too sure if that would link in. Because, yeah. Um, but, um, yeah. But yeah, no, but like in this scenario, but yeah, it's actually a uh, it's uh, World Human Trafficking Trafficking Day against again, again, uh, awareness day today. So um, I suppose it kind of ties in with the fact you're saying there. So I suppose we'll be probably looking putting up something on our I'm working UCD Student Union, so uh, we'll be putting up something there on the social media to recognise that there. Today, but, yeah. You know,
3: yeah, I see where the new minister for higher education Simon yeah. Harris former health minister he he has announced as i said it was away so i only caught the gist of it mm-hmm. that, that that he wants to tackle the problem of yeah. sex crimes on campus and there's a few of them happening off campus as well there is there is i was actually
12: at that meeting with Simon Harris in Monday in Dublin Castle okay. um, as part of the national advisory committee to the women's council of ireland so he was very Mr Harris was very open and very... Um, does very he get the extent of the problem, Jamie? Um, I think he really does. I think he, I said he's a, he, he called the meeting, you know, um, Mr. Harris called the meeting. It wasn't, you know, I suppose there a lot of groups who do fantastic work. A lot of them beg for ministers to actually take some time to talk to them. Minister Harris called the meeting in Dublin Castle, Good. which is a very positive sign, you know.
3: Good. Alright, well listen, whatever happened Saturday night and whatever was about to happen, you, you did a great bit of work. And fair really play to you. That. Thank you. Fair play to you. Cheers, Jamie. That's Jamie Fraser, uh, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. He he put a description on. I think Instagram and Twitter. But the description on Twitter. If you know either of these two, uh, and you know what was going on. One of them was six foot one ish, ginger haired, a black jacket, and tall skinny lad. The other one about five foot eight, a bit chubby, uh, with a tanned complexion, uh, in or around the Dargans Road. Stroke, Hawthorne Bar area there by the lock up Hartlands Avenue, up into Clasheen, around 9 o'clock, maybe after 9 o'clock, Saturday night last. 18.50, 715996, the guards have been informed. Later on, I've been talking to one of the senior correspondents of Sky News, Martin Brunt, about the latest developments in the Madeleine McCann case with this dig now in a garden in Hanover. We caught up earlier on with Martin Brunt. has been
4: described widely as a drifter um, which means that he travels he does uh, temporary work in bars car workshops he often lives in the number of vehicles that he's had over the years um, according to the German prosecutor he moved to portugal in 1995 and flitted between portugal and germany
3: it's martin run speaking about the guy christian b who is the prime suspect even though at the moment uh, and as martin told me he has not yet been formally questioned 1850 let's go back to the arts and music and theater and entertainment and, and we've touched on this many times over the course of the last few months because while lots of people, thousands of people have been affected by the workplaces closing and by lockdown and by people being laid off and all of that, it has to be said that the music industry and arts and entertainment in general has been among the worst. hit. Julie LaFontaine, good morning to you.
7: Good morning, PJ.
3: Musicians up and down the country who who ply their trade in everything from pubs to theatres are struggling now.
7: Oh, completely. Um, Just to give you a bit of an idea of ourselves, um, I'm from Premier Entertainment International. Myself and my husband run the agency and we supply musicians to multiple cruise lines around the world. So not only are our musicians who are on our books can't find work in Ireland, but also the entire cruise industry is at a standstill. So we see no prospect of getting our musicians back to work in any context at all at the moment.
3: Do you take something like the Wild Atlantic Way up the length of the Wild Atlantic Way, hundreds and hundreds of places where people would be playing their music and playing their trade right now and they can't.
7: Completely. And when you think of it, when um, government, when Enterprise Ireland or Tourism Ireland are trying to entice business and tourism to the country, the first thing that's rolled out are musicians, the arts, culture, that's what sells the country and boosts the economy all the time and now we're just being left completely high and dry and without any kind of support the industry is just going to be completely decimated.
3: Because music there is no ban on it as such but it's not conducive the current T's and C's are not conducive to hiring a musician
7: That's correct Um, there is some cases where pubs are offering to hire musicians for the likes of 40 euros for a gig because they're Get away, so 40 lower, quid so Yeah Where um, they're taking for so low or they have, they have such a small capacity that that's what they're offering to pay but that's not even minimum wage that doesn't even co- co- cover the cost of travel to the gig How is a person supposed to pay the mortgage pay their rent, free themselves on that yeah. and now what's happened is multiple musicians all over the country have had their POP kid payments cut and um, we've been hit by that ourselves because both myself and my husband work in the industry. We have the agency, but my husband is also a freelance musician. Right. And his payment was cut, um, even though his income met the threshold because of capital allowances, which is a tax incentive to encourage people to invest in their businesses, brought down his taxable income. So therefore he got cut. And now shortly, I will be cut as well. So we're trying to run... A home, family of four, and business expenses. Yeah. Very soon on five hundred euros. That's crazy.
3: Am I right in saying also that any professional musician who takes even one gig and gets a couple of quid for it, their 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 pub is in danger. Then
13: that's it, AJ.
7: Um We've been trying to pivot our business as such. Um, when pubs started opening up in mainland York, and trying to see could we maybe take of our musicians and find like mini tours for them in the likes of Germany but if any of our musicians leave the country or if they take a gig that's it they come back to nothing so they can't even if they found an odd gig then they're terrified of what did they do next next week they've nothing the next month they have nothing yeah
3: yeah. when do you think um that the, well okay stage four is now back to the 10th of August, and you'd be hoping for something in stage four, but have you anything other than hope?
7: At this stage, that's all it is. Uh, I don't personally see how things are going to come back to what they were, where people were making a living and a livelihood. Um, I, think, I think Luca Bloom and Mary Cockton have highlighted on the media recently how hard it is to make a living in this industry anyway, yeah. and to try and just make a, a basic living you know, a minimum wage is difficult anyway, and musicians work very hard to do that. Um, and without support from the government, even when gigs start to come back, and if a musician is doing a gig, say, one week, or maybe one gig a week, that one gig is not going to pay a wage or what you would usually get if, when you have your full season. And particularly because the the, the season in Ireland for festivals or for music um, generally kind of starts around Paddy's Day. Yeah. And then they're flat out until, I would say, the jazz weekend. That's kind of like the peak of the season. That's the bulk of their earnings. And that's gone. Gone completely. Yeah.
3: Yeah. It's bleak and it's sad. And I know, I know that people are sick and I know that many people have died and, and that this is a horrible thing that has literally infected our world. And until such time as we find a way to deal with it, Our lives are changed and changed utterly. But we can't leave our wonderful culture and heritage in music to just die with it.
7: No, we can't. And as the government are saying now that if you're on the PVP payment, the pub payment, you should look for another job. That's great if there's other jobs out there. Um, But who's going to take a musician who's been working professionally in the music industry for 20 years, um, and then you go to Aldi or Super Value or something like that and you're looking for a job and they compare your CV to the CV of a 25 year old who's been working in shops or working in a factory they're not going to give that person a job no. you know if, and then of course they're going to say well when the music industry comes back you're going to leave it
3: so I was talking to a, a friend of mine uh, over over the summer or over the last few weeks who is a professional musician it's kind of all he's ever done yeah. and 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 he said to me Pete. he said like I'm pure, bloody useless at anything else. I could barely stack shelves.
7: That's that's what people don't see. Within the industry, I've heard other radio presenters saying, oh, and you've made a living from that. I'm surprised that people can actually make a living from playing music. They think it's a hobby you do at the weekend. It's not. It's It's a profession. People invest for years, their time, their, their money. Um, even listening Where do you to think the Man
3: guy did. learned the 40 songs he just did at the gig? Exactly. How I do think you think Captain he got Man so good did. on the guitar? How do, how do you think he learned his own version of that song that people come far and wide to hear?
7: Correct. When, when a musician turns up to do a gig, it's not the two hours that they play for. It's the years of practice they put in beforehand. It's even driving to the gig, setting up the gear. People don't see that
3: yeah no I, I, my heart breaks for people for, for, and you know something I, was, I, was, I said there earlier on I was up the, up the north for a few days holidays last week and there's a lovely little pub in a place called Carnalock it's called, it's called the Waterfall Inn I was just having a drink outside in the street on Sunday afternoon a beautiful afternoon and I heard a ballad group I thought starting I said Christ no there's never a ballad group on here I turned in it was an old Dubliners video and and honest to God if you'd given out bars of gold the people in the pub couldn't have been more appreciative
13: but that's it.: oh, but they, they
7: miss music, music so much.: And even over the pandemic, how musicians have been on Facebook and all social ah, yeah. media, offering live gigs, supporting people over the years. Phil Coulter
3: is doing gigs on Facebook. Yeah. Dean Friedman, the great Dean Friedman from the '70s, is doing gigs on Facebook.:
7: Exactly. And people are loving it, and it's kept people's spirits up while times are so bleak, and yet we're being left and without the support. It's going to
3: be gone. We're going to lose that. All right. We need. We really need people to to sit up and take notice and do something for our music industry. Obviously, we have to do it safely and carefully. But while we're waiting for it all to be back to some kind of normal, we have to support our musicians. Exactly. Julie, thanks. That's Julie Lafontaine.
2: The opinion line with PJ Coogan on Court's ninety six FM. 1850-715-996
3: 1850-715-996 is the number. Text to WhatsApp 83 396 The email is Opinion at 96fm.ie. Follow us on Twitter at OpinionLine96, our hashtag is at Opinion Line or hashtag OL96 and the course 96FM Facebook page always available send us a message and mark it for the attention of the Opinion Line just some responses to the music industry and to the Panto being cancelled. It says, don't forget about the dancers. Well, we don't. They're included. When we mention panto crew and panto performers and entertainers, absolutely dancers are included in that. Kevin says, I'm wondering people who were still on COVID payment, what jobs are they supposed to be applying for? Their experience in the serv- is the service industry. They're still closed. Even the supermarkets aren't hiring because they're fully staffed already. Yeah, this idea of being available for work it's not a whole pile of work out there. Even the supermarkets seem to be operating to capacity now. There's not a whole pile of work out there for people whose original job hasn't restarted yet or for people whose original job might never restart. You're getting into that, that, that phase now. Caller says, we have a lot of ordinary people who have to take whatever job they can. Was there any sense of savings for all these musicians? It's all about what people want and about finances. There's only so much money the government have to spread out. Well, many musicians would have had some savings, caller. They would run out. And many performers, like pantomime performers, theatre performers, artists, dancers, musicians, sound engineers, lighting technicians, theatre workers you name it. Uh, Dee was talking to a sound engineer yesterday, a professional international sound engineer. He's got a boatload of equipment that he bought for a massive season that's not going to happen now, and it's still there. No one's going to stay. yes, you're okay, your payments, your storage, that's all covered. The Panto and the Jazz Festival are the two biggest earners in the in the year for the entertainment game in Cork. The, to, by far and away, the two biggest earners in the year. They're both gone now. They're both gone. And we, you would put away, as, as a performer, you would put away money during the jazz, and put away money during Christmas to stave you off the dark, cold nights of January and February when there was sod-all work. That's how it works in the game. Do they take up other jobs? If there are other jobs there, maybe they can take them up. A lot of musicians, thankfully, that I know personally, a lot of them have things like trades to fall back on, but not all of them. 1850 715996 developments internationally in the Madeleine McCann case have been fascinating to watch over the past uh, number of months. We, we know, of course, of this chief suspect now. He has become the chief suspect. Um, he's, he's in prison in Germany. He's a known sex offender. He goes under the name of Christian B. And it's believed that he was living in in a camper van around Pre-de-Luge in 2007, around the time that Madeleine McCann vanished from the apartment complex there. And there is a theory that he took her with him. He abducted her, took her, and drove her back to Germany, where he killed her, the poor little child. That's one of the, the, the theories. He's languishing in jail now. But they've been investigating his possible connections over the last couple of months. I spoke with a sky correspondent, Enda Brady, a few months ago when the focus shifted to this guy. And then in the last couple of days, it it took another twist when they started uh, investigators started digging on an allotment garden that he had in Hanover, just outside Hanover. Uh, They've been digging there for a couple of days. What are they looking for? Nobody seems to know it was a hidden cellar in the foundations of a derelict building. So what led them there? Why did they decide to dig there? What were they looking for? You wonder, does anybody really know yet? I've been speaking to Martin Brunt of Sky News, uh, who's following the latest developments and, in fact, is in Germany. I spoke to him before we came on air this morning. And Martin, thank you for taking my call. I think it's fair to say you'd be one of the original crew of international journalists across this story. Is this really the biggest set of developments we've had since day one?
4: I think it's, um, it, it's quite a dramatic twist, the search that's been going on now over in Hanover. And I think certainly the suspect Christian B um, is uh, a pretty good candidate um, for responsibility for Madeleine's disappearance. Um, there's a very compelling circumstantial case uh, already mounting against him. The problem for the prosecutor in Germany is that he doesn't have forensic evidence and vital evidence enough to charge him.
3: Has the guy been spoken to? Is, is this all happening without his involvement?
4: Um As far as we know it is, he's sitting in a jail cell in uh, a prison near Hamburg uh, and watching uh, these events unfold and uh, seeing all sorts of unsolved crime being laid at his door. In fact, his lawyer said uh, in an interview a few weeks ago that he's been accused of half the world's crimes. Um, He hasn't been spoken to officially by the German prosecutor Uh, And part of that reason is that there isn't the strong evidence that the prosecutor says he needs. Um, The prosecutor is desperate to find more evidence. And when he does, if he does find that, then they'll start the formal process of questioning Christian B. But uh, all indications are at the moment uh, that he hasn't been questioned at all, uh, is aware of what's been said and written and the suspicions of the German prosecutor. And as far as we know, Christian B. denies any involvement uh, in Madeline's disappearance.
3: Remind my listeners again, Martin Brunt, who is this guy and what do we know about him?
4: He's a German. He's 43 years old. Uh, He's been described widely as a drifter, um, which means that he travels... He does, uh, temporary work in bars, car workshops. Uh, he leads a bit of an itinerant life. He often lives in the number of vehicles that he's had over the years. Um, according to the German prosecutor, he moved to Portugal in 1995 and flitted between Portugal and Germany. Uh, up until about 2007 um, and came back to Germany shortly after Madeleine disappeared. He's been extradited twice from Portugal to Germany to face criminal charges in Germany, but he always seems to go back to Portugal and was last there in 2017, which was the last time he was extradited um, to Germany. He has uh, a string of previous convictions uh, for child sex um, crimes, uh, burglary, theft, uh, forgery, and is currently in prison serving a sentence for a drug supply in Germany and for the rape of an American woman, an elderly woman, in the Algarve in Portugal, uh, a rape he committed in 2005 but was convicted only last year.
3: Now, the latest developments, like you said, this search is now complete. What were they searching? How did they find it and i suppose when will we when will we discover whether they found anything significant?
4: Um, the prosecutor told us this morning that um, <coughs> the prosecutor's office said that they weren't going to say any more about the search it's over. It lasted two or three days. It was at a location outside Hanover a kind of um, get-away-from-the-city place of chalets in the woods where Christian B. was living in 2007. Uh, Briefly, he had a camper van on that site. Uh, From what we could see beyond the screens the police put up, they dug a big hole uh, in one of the gardens there, um, about 15 metres across. Uh, It was a bit of an unfocused search. There was no forensic Involvement. There were no um, archaeologists there. It was a, a very wide, unfocused search with a digger. They piled up uh, great mounds of earth. They sifted through it and then they filled filled in the hole. Uh, it's not clear what they were looking for. The prosecutor said it was in connection with the Madeline McCann investigation. Do they think that he may have driven Madeline, dead or alive, to Germany from Portugal? Uh, we just don't know. They may have been looking for any other kind of evidence that might link him to Madeleine McCann. But as far as we know, they don't appear to have found anything crucial. And certainly without any forensic operation there yesterday, it didn't look as though they were taking away anything that might be described as sensitive or, or critical evidence.
3: Have Madeleine's parents made any comment on, on these latest developments, Martin?
4: They haven't. Um, I'm sure they're aware of it. Um, I'm sure they'll have watched media coverage of it, but may have been forewarned by the Metropolitan Police in in London, which is part of this this investigation. I'm sure they were told that this was about to happen. They haven't said anything. And as far as I can remember, they haven't uh, said much at all since 2017, which was the 10th anniversary of their daughter's disappearance.
3: Yeah. And, and I suppose at this stage we, we must accept she probably is dead.
4: I think it's highly likely, and although uh, Kate and Jerry McCann, Madeline's parents, uh, cling to the hope that she could be alive, um, and they base that on the fact that they are aware of no evidence um, to suggest that uh, she's even been harmed, let alone... Uh, being killed, but the German prosecutor is adamant that he is leading a murder investigation. And he says that he has evidence that Madeline is dead, but he hasn't shared that with the parents. So they still cling to the hope they might find her alive, but realistically, and they haven't said this publicly, but realistically, I think they believe the likelihood is that Madeline is dead.
3: Lastly, uh, I mentioned at the start that uh, you're across this, you and your colleagues are across this one since since day one. Have you a feeling about this one? Martin, do you think we might finally get an answer?
4: Uh, I'm, I'm not convinced. I think Christian B is a very likely candidate um, for Madeleine's um, disappearance. And certainly the German prosecutor has said He's convinced that he is the man, but he lacks the evidence. And without the crucial evidence, uh, he will not be charged. And uh, at some stage, perhaps next year, he will be released. Uh, Even if not next year, within the next three or four years, he will be released from prison. And we might end up with a situation where, you know, it's widely believed that he was responsible, um, but he'll never be brought to justice.
3: Martin, thanks for taking our call on the opinion line. Thank you. Cheers. That's Martin Brunt, uh, senior crime correspondent of Sky News, speaking to me earlier this morning. But the latest developments in the case of Madeline McCann, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. I want to return to the pup payment, the P U P, because there's so much confusion about it over the last few days about people having it taken off them and what you can do when you're on it, can you take a day's work here, can you do something there, can you look for another job, do you have... What is it exactly, and what are the legalities of it? When it all started, I remember talking to the former minister, Regina Doherty, uh, who was the minister who set this thing up, and she she spoke to me at some length here on the Opinion Line about it back at the day, back months ago now it is, and it was all drawn over a matter of days to make sure people could get money into their hands quickly. I think now some of those chickens are coming home to roost when you try to tie down the various legalities of exactly what it is. Let's get some legal advice next. 1850
2: 715996 This is Courts Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
6: Text or WhatsApp now. 0833
2: 96 96, 96. On Courts 96 FM So when
3: Regina Doherty, the former minister, brought in the the PUP payment, as they call it now, in the very early days of the pandemic, literally as lockdown was announced and places began to close right, left and centre, and thousands and thousands and thousands of people found themselves without work, this payment was brought in quickly. Uh, They literally started to get money into their accounts within a number of days. And that was bound to be problematic down the line. And at the time, the Minister said that we did it, or they did it rather, just to get money into people's bank accounts, which is no bad thing. Let's look at the legalities of it now. Let's bring in David Brown from BDM Boylan, uh, Employment Law Specialist. David, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good to talk to you again, sir. If you're on a PUP or the worker support thing, are you actually redundant or what?
14: Well, you're not basically... Some people maybe, but you can't just choose to be redundant. Uh, PUP affects people who are effectively unemployed by reason of the of the COVID pandemic. Uh, now there's almost an amnesty for employers. Um, if you're, you may become redundant, but they've postponed that choice to the 10th of August, I believe, for employers. So you can't just go in and demand it. if you do, the employer can send a counter notice under the legislation and say, look, we recently expect to have 13 weeks of work for you within the next month. Uh, Therefore, you're not redundant. And that's probably the end of it for the time being, even though things may change as they go along.
3: Yeah, because people lost their jobs when places closed temporarily as it was at the time, temporarily has now become more, more medium term than short term. They're still getting this payment. The job will still be there if the boss can ever get the door open again, or at least he or she hopes it will. Nobody really knows for sure. No, they don't. I suppose you have clear
14: categories where you have people say you work in a bar, it uh, doesn't serve food and you're definitely closed because of legislation for certain periods of time. That's very clear cut. Uh, there are other people who are um, laid off or temporarily laid off and they don't know when they'll be back because it, it mightn't be because of COVID legislation or COVID restrictions. But it could be just because of a huge downturn in, in, in business and employers don't know any better. Um, but, but uh, essentially yet you're, you're, you're not redundant and you're relying on, on, on the PUP payment
3: So the idea that you should be actively looking for work while you're on a payment of this type is is that fair? It probably isn't because certainly in the short term
14: people just don't know what to do um, They've brought in legislation, I think, in the dead of the night, almost in the last few days, uh, and I, th- I think that's really targeted at when they can restrict payments when people go abroad. But in the normal course, uh, you're 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 laid off uh, temporarily. You're assured by your employer that you will be brought back short term uh, or in the very near future. Um, now, uh, so so I I, th- I think it's not fair to suggest that you have to be uh, you have to quit the job and look for another job uh, in the short term. Mm. Uh, of course if it goes on long term you have to be reasonably available for work You can't just sit back and do nothing But short term, no, I don't believe that is fair
3: If I'm someone who's been uh, furloughed or whatever you call it And I'm getting this COVID payment And someone says to me, do you know what PJ I have a job you might be interested in w- Would you take it? I said, do you know what, I'd love that job Do I? Can I then go back to my employer and look for a P45 What's the proceeding there? You can, well,
14: I think the P45s are gone, but you can get a cessation of employment. You can quit your job and take the new job and you get the payment and on, on, on you go. But you're not entitled to a redundancy payment because, um, you know, it, it hasn't kicked in yet. You, in those circumstances, you've quit your old job by choice, maybe for good reason, and you, you've got a better job or a new job. Yeah. So the situation is clear-cut. And a lot of people are doing that.
3: Yeah. And by the way, if it's a thing that the, the job that closed during lockdown may never open again, as, as sadly many of them won't, is that person then uh, entitled to redundancy? Yes, they
14: are. I mean, we'll see how they change it after August the 10th, but after August the the 10th, if you're still not brought back to work, you should inquire from your employer. He will either say when you're reasonably entitled to get back, but if if it goes beyond that period, you're entitled to claim your statutory redundancy from your employer um, because you can't be left in limbo indefinitely. So then you get your redundancy payments, you can still claim your PUP beyond that, but you, you, you must be actively looking for work then, uh, and available for work, which is the additional requirement.
3: Uh, my, my analysis of this before I brought you on was that when they brought this in in, in a rush back in March, uh, they just wanted to get money into people's accounts and they thought about sorting out the legalities later. Has that left a bit of a, a, a mire to be trawled through? Absolutely, you've put your finger on it there. It was an administrative scheme
14: and the current um, political squabble has come out of the fact that things were done by way of ministerial memo, an interdepartmental memo that uh, people could be stopped at airports and we should inquire whether they're available for work and so forth. I don't think there's a legal basis for that.
3: Yeah, I was going to ask you for an opinion on that before I let you go, David. All this thing about people being stopped at airports and all this thing about people losing their payments because they went overseas and now you can and then you can't. And Heather Humphreys, depending on what time of the, the day she gets up and what side of the bed she gets out of, is changing her mind. It's a mire. It's a mess. It's, it's an absolute mire, but I, I suppose what people need is, is, is a clear-cut situation.
14: Now, you have a tension here between the political requirements to you know, react quickly to a crisis, to get money into people's accounts, to stimulate the economy. But you have to have a legal basis, and in law you have to have certainty. So you would expect at the very least the, the Eroclips would pass the legislation with clear guidelines. It then must be uh, predictable so people can plan their affairs around it. And uh, you shouldn't apply it retrospectively, so we, we have many, many people um, you know you 're in a good job in January, you book your holiday abroad, you pay for it in in july you then the crisis hits all of us. You are out of work unexpectedly. You're entitled to go, as far as you're concerned, for a 2 weeks holiday abroad, and you're questioned at the airport. Now, that whole other talk about civil liberties and where they get the information. But you're, you, you're, you are entitled to go abroad, and it seems to me there's no basis for stopping the... Um, for, for stopping the payment while people are abroad, uh, there's no, no nothing on the forms when you apply for it. There's no restriction. People were never told that they couldn't go. They're only um, I won't say ambushed, but they're confronted at the airport and it causes them difficulties. Uh, so I think even the government is now climbing down from that position. Yeah. I suppose that the more the more. Grey area applies then to what happens if you go to a non-green
3: list well, country. That's not and even gold. There. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, um, that's another conversation, David. Listen, yeah. thank you for your expertise as always, uh, David Brown of uh, of BDM Boylan Solicitors. Uh, it's 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 a mess. They're trying. They, they ran it through as quickly as they could to get money into people's accounts, which was no bad thing, but now. Yeah, it's been a bit like a bull in the china shop. You're now trying to pick up the damage and and sort out the legalities. And it's it's not going to get any easier. 1850-715-996.
15: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you.
1: What on
3: earth?
2: It's contactless football. This is Courts Gold. Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call
7: us now. 1850
2: 715 996. On Courts 96
3: FM. Flag football. Contactless football. You might or might not have heard of it. If you're into American football, Like Super Bowl and stuff Then you probably will I'm not into American football Like Super Bowl or stuff So therefore I hadn't heard of it But now that I read about it It sounds like fun Ronan McLean I hope his name is right uh, Is from the Cork City Outlaws American football team Again I I wasn't aware there was an American football team In Cork Ronan good morning to you
15: Morning, PJ. How are you doing?
3: Good, good, good. Uh, is, is, is American football a big thing in Cork?
15: Uh, there's actually three teams in Cork at the minute. Uh, there's the UCC team, and uh, there's the Admirals, who play full contact, and, of course, there's ourselves, who play the flag version of the game.
3: Now, we've seen the full contact game. That's big fellas padded up. They're the size of bears, and they charge into one another over a small ball, which is... It's like rugby. It's like rugby on a, on, on on speed. But the flag game, explain it to me.
15: The flag game, it's a, it's a simplified version of it. It's Basically, it's a five-on-five five version. So you've got none of the big guys up front doing the hard-hitting. So it, you've got um, one quarterback a centre and three other skilled players. So that can be either running back or wide receivers. And the running back's the guy who takes the ball and runs with it as far as he can. And the wide receivers catch the passes from the quarterback. Hmm. So it's 5-on-5, five five, and instead of the big hits and the tackles, we actually wear small belts around our waists, and uh, the tackles are done almost like tag rugby. If you've ever seen that, where you call yeah. the tag on. Yeah. And that's it. It's where it stops.
3: So so if you're in lock. possession, and I would normally tackle you, I snatch your flag? Yes. And what happens then when I snatch your flag?
15: Uh, that's the play is stopped, and the, the next player starts from the position where the flag has been tackled.
3: I see. It sounds like... Uh, something, and we're all worried about contact sport at the moment in the, in the context of COVID and, and trying to get back to playing some kind of sport. It sounds like a practice you could apply in, in pretty much any game, with the possible exception of hurling.
15: Absolutely, yeah. Um, I, it works. Uh, it was uh, The idea of contactless sort of stent from the concussion issue in American yes. football. Yes. So, as well as the COVID issue now, it's very good for the sort of social distancing
3: aspect of the sport. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of fun and it sounds like it would be easier to watch than than the big game. Easier to follow yeah. maybe.
15: It's definitely a higher paced as well, so I understand people that don't like American football because it's very slow and it takes a long time to play whereas flag football is very quick.
3: Yeah, yeah, because that's the only thing about watching an American football game. You know, it's not that it's not a skillful sport that's wonderful to watch. It, it is. But Jesus, an hour-long an hour long game can take about three hours to play. <laughs> that's
15: it. And I understand why people don't like it. I love it myself, but I can see why it's not appealing to a lot of people.
3: Yeah,
15: yeah. And the opposite is it's very high-paced and the players are very skillful.
3: Yeah. Is, is there stuff online that we could watch a game maybe to see what it's like?
15: There's plenty of stuff. If you go onto YouTube and you search the NFL flag football, there's actually a, a nearly professional league. They're talking about making it professional in the near future.
16: Right. And they're
15: considered as an Olympic sport actually, which is really great for growing it. Yes, uh, there's talk about it because right. uh, the World Championships are getting bigger and bigger every year. Right.
3: Right. So
15: the committee are considering it for twenty four, I think, or twenty eight.
3: I'm not 100 percent sure. They're telling me that my, in my, my log hole that that our man Pierce McCarthy is involved. If that fellow came charging into you, with the amount of strinton he does, you wouldn't get up for a <laughs>
2: month. <laughs>
15: Well, I know, I know. Noel Pierce is very good. No, he's, he's very enthusiastic about it. He's helping us with our social media and really growing
3: the brand. Excellent. All right. Well, good Good luck for the future. And it's, I must sit down and try and watch a game because it sounds like fun. Uh, Roland, thanks very much. That's Roland McAleenan on the Cork City Outlaws American football team. Flag football. So don't charge into one another like like, like a load of trucks. Give a little flag and they put the flag off you. We'll have a look at that now over the next few days. 1850-715-996. Text to WhatsApp 83 396 ninety six ninety six. I want to bring in Ella Ryan. I think we might have talked to Ella earlier in the year. Did we, Ella? Good morning.
17: Good morning, BJ. How are you doing?
3: You were one of the musicians that were stuck on a cruise ship a few months I've- ago.
17: I was indeed, I was indeed, but uh, fortunately I'm delighted to be back home on Irish so I am so yeah.
3: I am. How long did that take?
17: Um, I think I was out there for ten weeks without touching and so uh it was a bit of a a bit of an adventure coming back but I finally made it back on the twenty second of May. Yeah. So uh,
3: back to back to Bandon. self
17: isolation. Back to Bandon, yeah, and uh, did my self isolation in a lovely little wanderly wagon outside my parents' away. So, yeah. The caravan <laughs> was, in the garden. It was fantastic. It was like a, a new style of camping. Yeah,
3: and the privacy. I don't think exactly. I ever. I don't think I ever want to self-isolate. I, I don't like the concept of it, but I, I wouldn't like to be sick and be locked up in a room. But the thoughts of being there for two weeks with loads of books and feeling reasonably okay.
17: Do you know what? It actually was fantastic. Like having been stuck on the ship for ten weeks, as you can imagine, it was a little bit of a mental challenge in itself. So to be able to come back and just. Chill out at home was fantastic, and be able to see my family yes. and my friends, obviously from a distance, you know. Yeah. Um, which I suppose brings me to why I'm I'm back on with you, uh, yeah. just to let tell, you know. Tell me about Joel for traffic. cancer.
3: What? Where did that come from?
17: So basically, when I came back, um, people were so good, friends and family, and uh, a lot of people that would have cruised with me around the world with Princess Cruises um, sent me well wishes and. I basically went live one Thursday night in the caravan. I said, it's time for me to sing a few songs just to say thank you. (laughs) And um, at the moment, a lot of musicians, as you know, are are going live on their pages and setting up tip jars and stuff. So I just wanted to say thanks. And the first night it kind of took off. So uh, it went from there. And I suppose now, 10 weeks later, we're still going. I did two on my own in the caravan and then... Thankfully, I have two fantastic singer sisters as well. So, of course, I roped them in. So, Angela, my older sister, um, joined me in the kitchen one night, another Thursday night, for Crack in the Kitchen. And uh, Mary Jo, I roped her in as well. She would perform in Cork as well with with another band. And we've had a host of... um, Special guest musicians join us as well over the last nine weeks. Yeah. So PJ, we just basically decided. I had a chat with the girls. I said, "Look, you know, we are putting in a lot of time. We're we're rehearsing, and we're going we're going live every Thursday night at eight o'clock." And we said, "Look, will we try and raise some money for two very worthy charities?" And we had a chat. We really discussed, you know, who could benefit from from some funds raised, and we decided on Marymount Hospice and Cancer Connect. So they're Brilliant. the two charities that we are going to be trying to raise money for.
3: Was the decision based on any personal connection, or was it just those two?
17: Um, well, I suppose we would love to be able to get fundraising for every charity, of course. We wanted it um, to, I suppose, uh, raise money for a local charity, for something in Cork. Um, since I came back, I, uh, again, being, wanted to give back, and I started to volunteer for Cancer Connect, where they're a non-profit organisation um, taking people around Cork County up to the hospital for their treatment. And Marymount Hospice—I mean, like you, you just—you chat to anybody. And is, there a, is there a family, family in Cork
3: that hasn't come across what they do? Yeah,
17: exactly. Yeah. Uh, so we just we decided on those two charities and. I think that they're two fan- fantastic um, non-profit organizations. So we we will be setting up with our iDonate set up and we will be launching that tonight at 8 o'clock Great. with another special guest who will be joining us okay. this evening. So who I'll, I'll be posting about that lovely lady later you can, on. You can't
3: share now, like?
17: Uh, well, I can tell you, PJ. It's Hannah Fitzgerald okay. is her name. She's a fantastic piano player from Great. Middleton. And uh, she gigs around the city as well and with my sister in a band called Triptych. So um, we're so excited to have her this evening. So we're going to be... So Where, to, where can we find it?
3: Where can we find it to watch it?
17: You just go on Ella Ryan Music on Facebook and we'll be live at 8 o'clock. And as you know, PJ, I don't know... The, we- the weather and the internet sometimes in-, in West Cork is a little bit contrary, so... Um, <laughs> That's a kind have- <laughs> word for it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have a-, a special project manager from Bandon Town. She comes up, and uh, Morris Crane. We have to give her a shout-out, and we, through, I suppose, trial and error, we log in through her phone, and uh, we have our little set-up in the garden, and uh, some of the neighbours call over, and we encourage them to social distance, and... Uh, everybody I suppose to stay safe and um, yeah I suppose Well last night you wouldn't have put a
3: duck out with a musical instrument but it looks a bit better for tonight
17: It's kind of hilarious because it hasn't rained once uh, any Thursday night Now I hope I'm not jinxing myself I'm touching wood here but um, we've had the weather on our side every Thursday night so hopefully we hope to continue. And you know what? It's just a, a kind of a, a positive, good news story. Absolutely. In weird, uh, weird times. And
3: the more of them we can get, the better. Great to talk to you, Ella. And, and good to know you got back safe and that you're now doing something to give back, as you say. Ella Ryan Music on Facebook is where you'll find it. And loads of people doing these. Thanks, Ella. Loads of people doing these uh, tip jars. It's like a PayPal tip jar. And uh, Someone asked me recently, what are these things about? Basically, the artist has set up a link to PayPal And you can just give them a couple of quid if you appreciate what they're doing. Plus, Ella and her friends have GoFundMe's and stuff like that going. But all this stuff has been set up by the artists themselves. And particularly if it's for charity, uh, they've done a lot of hard work to make sure that it works and it's secure and your money is secure. So if you give them a fiver, then they get the fiver or the charity gets the fiver. And some of the artists have put up a tip jar to make a couple of bob for themselves. And there's no harm to that in the middle of this 1850-715-996 I want to return to the subject of human trafficking I mentioned it earlier on this morning in connection with that incident at the lock uh, over the weekend Uh, no suspicion or no suggestion of trafficking being involved there, just wanted to, to touch base with it. We had a number of searches by Gardaí in the last few days. The Corps carrying out searches in relation to suspected human trafficking it took place on the 26th of July, which was Sunday. Two premises in Charleville or Mallow, uh, the Charleville Mallow area, uh, and 24 adults were interviewed. Three who it's believed were uh, trafficked were removed from the properties and are receiving assistance. No arrests were made. The investigation is ongoing. Mary Crilly from the Cork Sexual Violence Centre and Cork Against Human Trafficking. Mary, Mary, we've spoken about this many, many, many times. Good morning to you.
13: Morning, PJ. And this time last year, you helped us launch Cork Against Human Trafficking, where we were able to have people in the centre. So I remember, you, you know, were very keen to interview us and to get involved in it. So thank you for that. So It's a year on. And really what we're trying to do today is the UN World Day Against Human Trafficking. So there's two days a year we can really highlight the issue or highlight the problem because it is a huge problem. And I'd welcome the fact that the Guardian did raid premises in North Cork and I think before the shutdown they raided a few nail bars in the city. And people are horrified I think by that because how could somebody be trafficked in nail bar when you're looking in at them. So what we're doing in Cork Against Human Trafficking is just raising awareness and highlighting it. Mm. This year, because we're not going to have a gathering, we have um, our windows kind of done up at Cork Against Human Trafficking. We have car stroke window stickers that we'd love to blitz around the place, that we'd love to have on every car and every shop window and business window just to remind people, because I know sometimes in this area you can get overwhelmed by the extent of it, you know, like it's worth something like 15 billion a year and 75% of those trafficked for sexual exploitation of women and children and the horror of kind of four or five-year-old being trafficked for sexual exploitation doesn't even bear thinking about. Yeah. So sometimes we can't do an awful lot, but Cork is the only place in the country doing this, doing anything, where we are going out there and we're saying, look, it's happening. Let's just keep our eye out. Let's just do what we can do. Um, mm. And the government needs to get involved because um, Ireland, as regards the rest of the world, we're on an appalling kind of um, standard. You know, mm. we look at quality standards. I know you probably have Siobhan on the while and she's speaking about yes. that, but, mm. you know, we really are kind of bad in Ireland.
3: I spoke to a woman. Uh, last year who who wrote about her experience and, and she found herself in Cork. She had no idea where she was. She just found herself she realises now that she was in Cork been picked up on the streets of, of London and you spoke to me previously Mary more than once about people that you had found who literally had no idea where they were let alone what country they were in or what city they were in.
13: Well, that's it, because, I mean, they're picked up, they're kind of really coerced into coming over. It's not always a big kind of burly guy throwing them over their shoulder. It could be a young man or a young woman or a young couple kind of persuading somebody to come over to work or something, and they don't look like the usual trafficker. So, I mean, what they give these young women is hope, or young men because young men are trafficked as well I think in North Cork it was men who they found who were trafficked for different kind of labour exploitation like in the Cork and human trafficking of course we started last year just looking at sex trafficking because I know I'm quite blinkered you know when it comes to that but we have extended to look at human trafficking because there's human beings Mm. who are being exploited for labour and different things but there's also a woman here an Irish woman um, at the launch last year and she spoke about being trafficked around Cork and she's an Irish woman and being trafficked around the country so It's not kind of what we always assume it's going to be. But as long as the demand is there, you know, to use people, to use human beings in this way, it'll continue. But I think Cork is such a great city and such a great place where people hate injustice. And if they know about it, they will try and make a difference. And that's all we're trying to do in the centre here. We are seeing people who are survivors, who are victims of trafficking. But I think raising awareness is a first start.
3: Okay, that's what you've been doing for many, many years and continue to do, Mary. Thank you very much. Mary the Cork Sexual Violence Centre. J.P. O'Sullivan is involved in, this is a a long... Long title, Mercy Efforts for Child Protection Against Trafficking with the Hospitality Sector, known for short as Paths. JP, good morning to you. Good morning to you, Peter. It seems to be fairly well described by the title, (laughs) children being trafficked into the hospitality sector. This conjures horrible images of of youngsters working terrible hours in brutal conditions. Mm Mm-hmm.
18: Um, Well, the focus of the work, PJ, is actually working in partnership with hospitality groups, um, training colleges and hotels around the country, um, just supporting the staff to be able to identify children that might be brought through hotel networks um, for exploitation. And it's usually sexual exploitation um, that we're looking at. So rather than, I suppose, labour exploitation, um, our work is
3: particularly focused on sexual exploitation. And how does that tie in with hospitality?
18: Okay, so it's been demonstrated I suppose around the world um, in the US and also in Europe that hotels can be destination points for children to be brought to, to be exploited, um, so that could be sexual exploitation or for the production of um, imagery of sexual abuse, um, commonly referred to in the media as child pornography. Um, so it's I suppose it's something that's happening around the world. Ireland is certainly not immune to it. And from working with some of the the great hospitality partners that we have, we're hearing that, yes, the um, hotels have identified situations where children have been brought in, they've been taken to rooms, they've been exploited, and the staff quite simply didn't know what to do um, at the time. So that's where our piece of work comes in, um, just training people on what to do when they spot something and get that gut feeling that something is just
3: not right. How can people... Who can people talk to or who can we raise a, rag, raise a red flag with if we think something isn't right?
18: Okay, well, the, the most important thing is that the, the guards are contacted immediately. Um, whenever there's a child in danger or at risk of being in danger, the, the first point of contact is the guards at 999. Um, the guards would say, you know, if people have suspicions, they can always contact their local guard station. And there's also the Guard a confidential hotline. Um, which is available to people to, to, I suppose, report in confidence and to take advice from the guards as well.
3: Okay. All right, JP, continue the good work that you do and good to, to mark a World Day Against Trafficking today on this, the 30th of July. Thank you, JP O'Sullivan. 1850 that kind of underground sleazy activity reminds me um, and again, I read another one of his marvelous books while I was on holidays, and, and uh, I, I believe that the latest in the series will be the last, which which upsets me. But the guy called Graham Masterton, he's Scottish. Uh, he's written a load of horror novels and fantasy novels, but he's written a series of novels based on five years that he spent living in Cork, uh, and he writes about crime on the streets of Cork, and they are called the Katie Maguire books. You'll find them if you Google them. Graham and Katie Maguire books. And, and I mention it because in, in many of the books, there is reference to things like trafficking and the sex trade, and, and they get right into the underbelly. But the books are so well-researched that I can hear, when I read them, I can hear the stuff that Mary Crilly and the likes have been telling me for a very long time. Uh, look them up. Yeah, good good holiday reading if nothing else, Graham Mastered in the Katie Maguire books. Am I going to go to Valerie? I will very quickly, Fergal. Thanks for that. Uh, Valerie Condon um, of Debenhams. Valerie, um, it's day 112, I think, is it?
10: That's right. You're, you're keeping count now, as like we are.
3: I am. I am indeed. Day 112. And you have a meeting today.
10: We have a meeting with hall. There's three of us in Cork coming up today myself, Julian, and Madeline. And we have a meeting with hall this morning.
3: Yeah, and now you've st- have you? I'm getting a breaking story here. Have you have you st- stood down your protest?
10: No, no, no way are the protests uh, standing down. We were there was a few of us up in Dublin last week. We met with Leo. He promised to speak to KPMG and to try to sort something out. So today, now we're meeting with Mihal Martin. But no way have any pickets have been standing out down. In fact, there's been movement up the country in some of the pickets. So we're actually being more vigilant today.
3: Are, are you willing to to stand down if someone says stand down?
10: We'll only be willing to stand down once something is signed and everything is voted on. So obviously, if something comes out of today, if something comes out of anything, it will ha- the staff will have to vote for it. And while the staff are voting for that, the pickets will be still ongoing. And once it's signed and once it's voted on, then we can stand down.
3: That report, I think, was in the Examiner uh, this morning, suggesting that it might be stood down pending talks. But you've absolutely ruled that ruled that out. What What did you say to Leo Bradkar? What will you be saying to the teacher?
10: Well, we we asked Leo to help us, like we're asking uh, Michal to help us now this morning. As you said, it's one hundred and twelve days. Uh, we're, we've missed the summer. The staff are getting tired. They they need help. And wherever uh, we want them now to step, they they actually have to step up at this stage. They haven't been they've been pussy cutting around. They haven't been doing anything at this stage. Now they have to step up. Okay, Valerie, you know?
3: good good luck with it. Okay, uh, we've been following you since day one and and hoping that that you get something out of it at the end. That's Valerie Condon, uh, mandate shop steward. I think they still use the term with uh, debentures or formerly with debentures.
2: The Opinion
3: Line with PJ Coogan on courts 96FM 1850-715-996. Text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. Twitter is at opinion line96 with the hashtag OL. 96, and of course, the Cork's 96FM Facebook page, always open to you. Mark your messages, if you can, please, for the attention of the opinion line. PJ, is Santa cancelled this year? Is he on the pandemic payment? Santa has international coverage and clearance and international permits to visit every little boy and every little girl in the world on Christmas Eve, regardless of COVID-19 restrictions. And let's get that out there from day one. Santi will travel. He may not get into the supermarkets and he may not get into the shopping centres, and his helpers may not be as as, uh, as many on the ground as normal. And uh, that would be something very sad, but the man himself will get out of the North Pole on the night in question. But that's 148 <laughs> days away now. I know, I'm sad, aren't I? I am, I am indeed This got banned We had this on the show Back in May, I think When this ad got a lot of people talking I'm now breaking the rules Because it's officially banned Who
0: cares? Welcome back We have got a great show for you today So, tell me How many of you ever feel your tampon? You shouldn't. It might mean your tampon isn't in far enough. you got to get them up there, girls. Example, our special Tampax Pearl Compact Grip Design is your guide to comfort. Just pull it, lock it and put it in. Not just the tip, off to the grip. So get them up there, girls, with Tampax. Do it for comfort.
3: Now, I remember at the time, I think I said that when I heard that, I went, what the heck have I just heard? And I went and looked at it again. Or was I remotely offended or bothered? No, I was not. No, I was not. Um, But the chief executive of the Advertising Standards Authority has defended the decision to uphold complaints that a Tampax ad was offensive. Orla Toomey said the scale of complaints would indicate it has caused widespread offence. It got 84 complaints. Now, bear in mind that there's 4.7 million people living in the Republic of Ireland. It got 84 complaints. And the Standards Authority advised that the advertisement shouldn't run again in the same format and said it caused general offence. General offence being what and to whom? Because they said that they didn't uphold complaints that it was demeaning to women that it had sexual innuendo window or was unsuitable for children. So what the hell else were they complaining about? 84 of them. 84 curtain-twitching pearl-clutchers. At least that's what it sounds like, Jen Gannon. Good morning.
16: Hello, yeah, it does. I mean, I think... You know the address created uh, because they had Procter and Gamble did a survey and they found out like the 42% of women who use applicator tampons they they're not uncertain them. Of- correctly and 79% of women are you know experiencing discomfort with tampons so I mean periods are normal they shouldn't be this taboo topic and they shouldn't be shrouded in this secrecy or shame and I think people objected to the ad because it's loud and brash but it's actually informative I mean it wasn't just some stupid blue liquid being poured on some cotton or you know it was something that's useful to so many women that you know maybe are ashamed uh, to talk to people or feel stupid that they're still experiencing this discomfort with tampons and I think that's the thing it's just about education and getting that message out there in whatever way you can and I think you know the tone was silly and why shouldn't it be like why do periods have to be you know this serious topic like we're not dying it happens every month I have mine right now while I'm speaking to you and it's fine like and you know these people really just need to get over themselves and get a life I think it's crazy that it only takes 84 people to get an ad removed from our screen but
3: but moreover if the Advertising Standards Authority found that it wasn't demeaning to women, if they found that it didn't contain sexual innuendo or was unsuitable for children, what the hell was the problem?
16: I don't know. I think really the problem is the ad wasn't done in the way that the normal tampon ads or, you know, sanitary towel ads are done. And these sanitary towel ads, I think, are more hypersexualized. They always have, like, young women in tennis wipes that, you know, are exposed in their pants or they're twirling around in tight white outfits, you know, and you wonder why these people didn't object to those ads or never have objected to those ads before. Is it because periods are now being treated on this ad like an actual bodily function rather than, like, some weird celestial event that happens every month like that causes women to wear all white and go rollerblading for some reason. <laughs> I mean, like,
3: like I, as I said in my introduction, I said I, I I saw it during an ad break, and yes, I grabbed the sky remote, and I, what have I just watched? And I wound back and I watched it again, and I thought, do you know what? That's actually brilliant. Yeah, it grabs it. It did exactly what it was. No, I had obviously no connection myself with periods, but. If I'm winding back the telly to go, what the hell have I just watched? That's what an ad's for.
16: Exactly, yeah. You want to get people talking, and that's the thing. It's the same thing you know, that we've seen this summer like, well, during lockdown, where people were saying they're having discussions around like normal people, like about consent and like these kind of adverts that stir a conversation, that's what you want you want to, you know, have these conversations educate people and I just think, you know, periods are so normal that I don't understand why anyone would take offence to something like this unless they're embarrassed about the fact that women have these bodily functions and, you know, the only thing I find offensive is that women still have to pay so much money to, uh, I you know, have these products. Um, I think that's the crazy yeah.
3: thing. Yeah, which is a discussion we've had on this program over the years. I'm still very anxious to find out, though, Um, what exactly <laughs> was the problem if it wasn't offensive to women, if it wasn't overly sexual and if it wasn't unsuitable for gender. What else is there to worry about?
16: I really just think it's the fact that it was loud and in your face and people are used to these. uh, I'm I'm loud and in your
3: face. (laughs) Take me off the air next.
16: (laughs) (laughs) I really do feel that, though. I think they just want everything to be quiet and let's not talk about it and it's embarrassing and, you know, it should just be swept under the carpet. And that's really given young girls who are experiencing this for the first time, you know, the wrong message. And it should be talked about. It should be normalized. You should be able to have a chat about it or laugh about it, laugh about how ridiculous the ad is in itself, you know? And I think that's what they need, more of this, not less.
3: All right, leave it there. Jen Gannon, who is a pop culture broadcaster and journalist about the banning of the, the Tampax Ad, 1850 715 Antoinette says, Oh, Jesus, back to the dark ages when my dad would change the channel if an ad for sanitary towels came on. If that's all they have to complain about, they've no worries in their lives. Mary says, All my friends and all my family think it was a disgrace. Why, Mary? It's not just people who are 84. No, Mary, there were 84 complaints. It's not just people who are 84 or whatever you said think like this. It said in the news last night it was people of all ages were against it. It's way too forward. What do you mean, too forward? 50% of the population goes through this every month for 40 years on this planet or however long it lasts. It was her voice, says Kate. I didn't like that. Other than that, get over it. Kevin says, who banned it? Have they had the authority? If not, they've done more for it advertising than anyone that the company could hope, hope for. Jared was disgusted and said he had to walk out of the room. I'd love to talk to Jared. 1850 715 996. My favorite sporting event of the year has been saved and it starts tomorrow. It's coming next.
2: This is Court's Gold Imro award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call
7: us now. 1850
2: 715 996. On Court's 96 FM.
3: Yeah, normally you'd be playing that around April time, th- March, April. But of course, the Crucible got cancelled. The World Snooker Championship got cancelled due to COVID nineteen earlier in the year. But they're going to go ahead with it now in the famous venue, in the famous theatre, starting tomorrow morning. Uh, believe it or not, and running until around the is it around the eighth of August or the eighteenth? or That way, one young man who'd love to be there is Ross Bullman from Cork. I've said this before, and I'll say it again, Ross, that both one day yourself and Aaron Hill will play at the Crucible. I'm absolutely confident of it. How did the qualifiers go, mate? Good morning.
11: Not too bad. Uh, Good, Dad. Uh, we had two good games, I suppose. We were, we were unlucky. Aaron was based 6-2, and I was based 6-5,
3: mm.
11: which, was, which was a bit of a disappointment, that being 4-2 down to me, back to... 5 all and those 6 guys, but yeah. that's the joys of the game. I Heartbreaking
3: suppose. way to go out. Final frames are, are horrible. They can go either way, yeah, no matter how I, well you've played. Didn't
11: even, I didn't even get a chance in the decider, so that was kind of most so annoying thing, to be honest. Yeah. But a lot of positive things man.
3: Yeah, like, it. qualifying for the World Championship, people turn on the BBC and they look at it and they've got the, the world's top 16 and then 16 people make it to get in against them. That's the competition to get in against the, the world's top 16. That really is the big one for you, you guys like you and Aaron.
11: Yeah, well, I suppose look, we're only 19 years of age I suppose so like, we have a load of time really when you think about like, the sellers there this year only qualify for the first time in their 30s and 40s yeah. so like, we have a load of time so hopefully it will come through there. What was your
3: highest break in the match? Uh,
11: wasn't that kind of a big high scoring game I suppose. He was kind of a Kind of a slow tight player, so uh, I think it was something like sixty a uh, Good sixty odd to win one frame. I think
3: good sixty odd is a good bloody break, lad. in any yeah. in any man's language, you know? Yes, yeah, was not too bad. It was, when it was.
11: It, it was just a, a tight game, really, more than that. Yeah. Because Nick can talk the whole way.
3: Yeah, the, the qualifying competition is is intense anyway. It's it's a load of different tables all, all set up together. D- did the virus make any difference to that kind of play?
11: Uh, this year it did, like last year I played Jimmy there and was, there was a huge crowd there and like this year it was all behind black curtains, you couldn't see any of the other tables running. so it was a big difference but it probably made my concentration actually better.
3: To be yeah, honest. I often thought that watching it, because you can see some of the qualifiers on the telly at, at, if you know where to look, I often thought, and I I'd, I'd watched your game against Jimmy actually, I watched it online, <clears throat> t- t- trying to concentrate in, in in such a massive hall with so many tables it must be very hard
11: yeah it's hard but look I suppose that's what we're we're there for and that's where you learn your game that's, yeah that's it like if you try your best to do it and, and it like if, it, if, it, if you don't do it it probably won't work for you so you have to do it really yeah, yeah.
3: who do you um, fancy for the title before I let you go Ross? I, I said the same I looked I at the draw the other night I looked at it I said Jesus no oh, you, can't, you can't call it can you
11: no I think it's so I, I give Mark Allen and um,
3: Sean Murphy a great chance Murphy's brilliant he's been brilliant all season
11: Yeah, very solid saying, Like know, last few weeks and stuff so.
3: it's like trying to go through a wall against Sean yeah, Murphy I love, this,
11: I love this I love this Thai
3: guy I called him last year the new kid on the block
11: yeah, be, uh, he's great. He's playing, he's playing Ronnie, so actually yeah,
3: against that's Ronnie. the <laughs> divided loyalties there. But he's very, very good. Yeah,
11: yeah. no, he's a serious player
3: to be fair. All right, listen. Look forward to it, Ross. And uh, better luck next time. There will be a next time, and I know, I absolutely know that some year I will be listening to this. I'll be waiting to watch you on the telly. Cheers. Cheers, mate. Take care. That's Ross Bullman Cheers. from Thanks. y'all. And best of luck to himself and Aaron Hill for their snooker futures. We have got some serious snooker players in, in Cork. And there, too, uh, Aaron Hill and Ross Bullman both come through the qualifiers, both beaten in the qualifiers this year for the World Snooker Championship, which starts tomorrow. But big futures ahead of them both. On Debitums. PJ, while I am sorry for the Debitums workers, what about all the other workers in jobs that were let go? and only got statutory redundancy and could do nothing about it. What makes the Debenham's workers any different to them? Thanks. It's, It's a question. What makes them a bit different is they've decided not to accept it from their employers. Like the Vita Cortex workers decided not to accept that from their employers either. And they've said, if you must close down, having told us, by the way, that our jobs were sound... If you must close down, then it's going to cost you. And we want more than statutory. And we're going to get together and we're going to hold out. And we'll do battle with you. That's why we're talking about them. And any other worker that gets let go the same way, I would support their right to look for more. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. 715 I'm a cat lover I've, I've spoken about it many times I, I, I love cats I have two uh, little devils, and, and they're so important in my household two lightened bitches the two of them but they're great and a lot of people don't like cats I don't understand why I really don't I think people want the same relationship with a cat than they have with a dog you're never going to get that but there's an interesting book out, uh, "Minding Mittens," and it's about the relationship between cats and children. and Ashley O'Keefe is from the Cat Hospital in Van Meer. Joins me now, Ashley. Good morning.
9: Good morning. Hi, PJ. How
3: are you? I'm good. First of all, and we'll talk about the book in a second. Would you agree with me? There, people who want the same relationship with a cat as they have with a dog are, for want of a better word, meowing up the wrong tree. <laughs>
9: Yeah, that's true. Um, Cats are very, very different. Like Dogs are very social animals, and even though cats can be social, naturally they are very independent, even a bit territorial kind of animals, Um, and they always have a little bit of the wild side in them. So it's it's not the same thing, Um, definitely not the same relationship, but you can um, get a different relationship from your cat, but it's just you can't expect the same thing as a dog. Um, some some cats do act very dog like, and um, certain breeds and things like that. But um, as a whole, they are different. So you just have to, I suppose, understand them better, really, to yeah. kind of get a proper relationship out of it. You know.
3: Now you're a vet at the cat hospital in Glenmire. What what prompted you to write this book?
9: So um, I did a certificate, a two year certificate on feline behaviour, and I learned loads of information and. Um, I going to see a lot of behavioural problems in work and what I just found is that it would be easier to maybe I suppose, get to children first and kind of give them really good foundation in um, you know, cat behaviour and if they start doing it the right way then they're going to be brilliant owners um, and you'll prevent a lot of behavioural problems because it is very hard to fix the problem once it started occurring so it's much easier to prevent it from happening in the first place so I just said children were kind of a good a good um, audience to go to and they're very open to learning and they don't have any preconceived ideas about cats yet so I thought they'd be a good one to, to aim it at. Yeah.
3: Now it's a, it's a kind of an activity book there's a quiz and and colouring in it and all of that but it's full of little advice little bits of advice about yeah. having a cat and raising a cat and keeping a cat.
9: Yeah, yeah. So so it has all that it has the colouring page and the quiz and has lovely illustrations by um, the Cork artist Leah Murphy but it also it, it kind of tells a story So it's not told as a factual book because I know sometimes, even myself, if I get a factual book, I don't like reading it. Um, So it's told as a story and it's about a little boy called Tom and his kitten mittens. And he basically goes through what he does on a day-to-day basis for her. So he kind of tells us about her litter tray and how he feeds her and um, the bedroom that she kind of sleeps in and things like that. So it just goes through that and it goes through how he picks her up and... He, he doesn't pick her up the wrong way and, and, and things like that. So it kind of, it kind of goes through it and what hope, hopefully will be kind of an engaging, interesting way for children to learn. So.
3: Yeah, because the one thing about having a cat is the communication system between you and them is totally different, say, between you and a dog. So you can train a dog and if the dog is scratching the door, you shout at the dog and the dog stops scratching the door in the most yeah. basic form. <laughs> Same is not the case for the cat when it decides to take a lump out the settee.
9: No, no, and it doesn't work the same way. Like, I would get a lot of clients that have tried the dog, right? They've tried to give out or, you know, do a little tap on the nose or something or a water spray, and it really doesn't work. It actually has the opposite effect. The cat gets really scared. It thinks that you're the bad one, and it doesn't learn from that at all. So you, you really can't go about it the same way with cats. You really have to try and go about with positive, um, you know, reinforcement and um, just trying to figure out why they're doing that behavior in the first place. Because punishment does, it just doesn't work. And it will go very badly. No, which, they you know, they, they run They
3: run away from you with a haughty look and give you and, give, and give, <laughs> give you a bad eye for the rest of the evening. Is what my one does. Yeah.
9: That's it. Yeah. yeah they won't talk to you for a while, and they think <laughs> that, that they didn't do anything. They think you're the problem now. <laughs> so, and it might actually make the problem worse as well.
13: Because
9: so, yeah. a lot of them, their problems are from stress. So if they get stressed out from their owner giving out to them, it could even just make the whole thing worse. So, right. yeah.
3: Well, I think it's a great. I think it's a great idea because um, a lot of kids and. And I say this, I'll probably get slaughtered for this now, but I don't care. I think a lot of kids growing up not liking cats, they grow up with a dislike of cats because it's bred into them by adults yeah
9: yeah so so I think as well, and a lot of people that I've met that you know didn't like cats when i asked them why don't you like cats they say it's because oh they got scratched or bitten by a cat when they were younger or, or whatever or they had a family cat that was really nasty to them or something like that but most of the time um like cats that look scary like cats that you know that you see that are hissing and their hair is standing up and they're trying to scratch they're, they're probably just really afraid um and it's just learning how to approach them the right way and avoiding scratches and bites um, and you know, just, just approaching them properly yeah. would, would reduce a lot of and that, when it. And you know? when a
3: cat knows you and trusts you, that's a lovely bond.
9: Absolutely, yeah, you earn it with a cat. Yeah. And you have to
3: constantly <laughs> yeah. work on it.
9: You do, you <laughs> it's do. It's like you a you marriage. Do. <laughs> <laughs> you do. So they're definitely the boss, and you do have to earn it. Yes. And they won't just go up to anyone. And um, so so that's nice. It's a nice yeah. part of that relationship. You All do right. have to earn it. So.
3: Listen, yeah. good luck with it, ashling. Thank you very much.
9: Thanks very much for me. On. Thanks She's very
3: that's much, Ashling O'Keefe, author of a book called "Minding Mittens." I think someone put it best years ago when they said, "A dog has an owner, a cat has staff." That gets it in one. Eighteen fifty-seven one five nine nine six. Smear I all of the gigs of the summer are off because of COVID nineteen. It's terrible. It's And we talked about entertainment and music and pantos and jazz and all the summer gigs that we really wanted to be going to. They're all off because of COVID-19. And we just cross everything crossable that they'll come back next year. But in the meantime we've got the next best thing the back garden festival with Harvey Norman we've put it together on our on our app on our phone app go in there you'll find the back garden festival uh, it's playing all the songs from all the artists that we would have seen and featuring loads of virtual live sets actually i was listening to it on my holidays, a couple of afternoons, banging around in the car, driving up around the north of Ireland in the car, and the music is cracking on it, and the atmosphere in the... It's great. It really, really is great, and you'll enjoy it. It's uh, the and Festival with Harvey Norman, your specialists in sound this summer. Check it out on the 96FM app. 96 fmie
2: This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan
6: Text or WhatsApp now 0833-969696
2: On Cork's 96FM
3: just on Debenhams and why those workers are different as someone was questioning in a message there a while ago, Kevin, which I forgot to mention in my reply Kevin says the big difference is they're still trading and still trading successfully or relatively successfully, so they have the money Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. there's a new book out called Keep Your Cool, How to Cope with Life's Worries and Stress, and it's aimed at a teenage audience, people who are in school and maybe just leaving school dealing with a very stressful world and a world that I'd have to admit my teens are well behind me now well behind me but when I look at the teenagers of today and what they deal with and my teens and my wife's teens and my friends' teens, it's a different world and they do sometimes need help with it. Uh, Dr. Aaron Balak joins me on the phone. Aaron, good morning to you. Good morning. Lovely to talk to you. Would you accept that, that being a teenager in 2020 is a lot different than being a teenager in the 1980s, say?
19: For sure it is, but I would also say that being a teenager in the 1980s was a lot different from being in the 1950s also. So. You know, being a teenager, you've got, the, uh, you've got the stuff to deal with it, whatever the generation. It's just about knowing how to do it, I think. But definitely your and my childhood was different from, from teens today.
3: Are there standards that every teen has to deal with regardless of generation?
19: Yeah, I mean, you know, the psychology hasn't changed, even though, you know, the, the technology has. But dealing with relationships, you know, dealing with breakups, with love, with family, with friends... With stress, you know, all of the psychology is the same. So we just kind of have to work out how to engage that psychology with the present situation, which is, you know, really challenging sometimes.
3: You go through in a series of different chapters the kind of things that, that teens are dealing with things like school life, friends, enemies, frenemies, that new word of today, life at home. But you start off by the person having an understanding of themselves.
19: That's right. I mean, you know, you think about what we all learn in school and, you know, you get, your, you get your maths and your English and your social studies and your history, but you don't actually really learn about how, how you work, you know, how your mind works as a, as a human being. And actually, you know, psychology has been studying this for, you know, well over a hundred years, more than that. And I feel like um, we can give young people the skills to understand how they respond to their environments and to make better choices by understanding their psychology.
3: Now- You might say, well, if you're a teenager and you're struggling with something in your life, there are adults around you who love you, principally your parents, and they will help you. But there's something in the teenage mindset, is there not, that says they're the last people in the world I want to talk to, no matter how hard they try.
19: Yeah, and you know, the, the, the best solution usually is talking it over with someone, but there is a transition that happens um, usually between, I don't know, about between 8 and 11 and then maybe 12 on up where your parents stop becoming your first port of call to talk about stuff because you're developing, you know, your own private issues where it doesn't seem as appropriate to come to them for everything anymore. And that can change over a period of time. That can be really hard for the parents. Um, But it is really good to have extra sources of information and trustworthy adults that might be a little bit outside the family. They can be aunts and uncles. They can be friends of the family. um, They can even be peers. But, um, yeah, it's completely natural for teens to look elsewhere for a bit of of advice.
3: You like to be uh, the person or you like to convey to your teenage son or daughter, look, there is nothing you can't bring to me. But getting that message across, do you address that in the book? Do you address reaching out to talk to
19: people? Yes. I mean, it's, it's always kind of the, the, the best thing you can do. So there's all these skills that you can apply to yourself. But when you're struggling with something, you really need another mind to it. And, and I think it's also important to remember that, you know, it's, it's good to be able to rely on your parents to talk to them. But not every young person can do that. You know, some are in, in difficult families, yeah. um, some are in abusive families, and yeah. it's actually not safe to go to these people. So we need to ensure that there are enough good people around, that there's always at least someone to talk to.
3: I I think parents of teenagers might find some use in this book too, Aaron, because and I I say this as kindly as I can, teenagers are strange creatures (laughs) Um, and and, and as a parent of a former teenager and as a former teenager myself you would know too um, there is a a stage in in the life of a teenager where the, the bedroom door closes and they only emerge to eat and shout And complain. And for a certain amount of time, that's okay. But maybe parents would be helped by the book to understand what's actually going on.
19: Yeah, I mean, I've been told by lots of parents that they've been really helped by the book themselves, that it's actually helped them keep their cool because, you know, the thing, the thing is, like I said, psychology, it's, of course, it's different at different stages in your life, but the information that's in the book written for teenagers is the same information that parents can benefit from. And if parents are reacting to their teen's reaction, so the teen slams the door and then the parent gets angry and starts slamming on the door and screaming and yelling, it's not particularly productive but if the parent is also looking inside and understanding themselves and it able to make better choices and behave better in relation to that teenager then it, it kind of can improve harmony all the way around take it
3: take it from one who did bang on the bedroom door it, it's 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 non productive at, yes. <laughs> at best at best the teens of today doctor bad. they're growing up in a different world though and and it's a digital world and and i often and my listeners often fear for Teenagers in that digital world, because, you know, a phone or a tablet is placed in their hand not long after their first teddy bear. Yeah. And they live in that world from as as young as they're able to talk. And we'll never understand living like that.
19: That's for sure, and I think that is one of the biggest challenges. So this lack of understanding, and um, the fact of the matter is, and we, 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 most of us who are you know, over the age of 30 or something have learned that their child, um, even their eight-year-old child, knows their way around the technology more than the parent generally does. So the capacity to hide and have secret accounts and have experiences that parents are completely unaware of is like, it's completely different and very difficult to understand. So probably, I don't know how old you are, but if you're about my age, you know, the the secret thing that you would do is maybe have a secret phone call or sneak out your window at night. Um, In the virtual world, you can kind of sneak out your virtual window through your phone and and nobody could ever know about it. and that's why it's so important to keep those lines of communication open, that even if you don't understand, but your child knows that they can come to you, if there is any kind of distress emerging from anywhere, then you can, you can learn the technical details. You just have to make sure that they know they can, they can ask for help when they need to.
3: Okay, sounds like an interesting read. I look forward to getting into it in more detail. Dr. Aaron Barak, the book is called Keep Your Cool, aimed at teenagers, but basically for everyone in the family, so you all understand what's going on. Thanks very much for having me. Delighted. That's Dr. Aaron Balick, 1850-715-996. He's a clinical psychologist and, and broadcaster. Keep your cool.
2: This is Court's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line, with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Court's 96FM.
3: Couple more comments. Coming in about the Tampax ad, which has now been officially banned by the Advertising Standards Authority. Uh, This message says, they're very good. Our tampons, they're really comfortable. I think people need to get a life. And a lot of people just saying, what on earth was all the objection to about the ad? Although, I think it was Tom. Was it Tom who said, it's a common as muck, vulgar British ad. And I'm n- no prude, but are there not instructions on the box anyway? Uh, I love the ad; wish it was around when I was a teenager. Speaker on radio right now is 100 percent right. All that gore and violence on TV, but a pad ad must use blue dye. Get over yourselves, the 84 people who objected. 185715996. It's well the second half of the year in which we are now in it is awards time. Uh, summers, summer is when the awards start and they run right into the autumn and the winter. And the Network Cork Awards are no exception. But of course, like many other awards ceremonies this year, they're not able to take place in their usual form. But taking place, they are. And Barbara Nugent is the organiser. Barbara, good morning to you.
8: Good morning. How are you?
3: Good. And they are taking place in a different form.
8: They are indeed taking place in a different form. Um, I suppose there was a, a change um, in the awards this year to really reflect the situation that we have been living in since march um, and so our president of network Ireland, Louise Meehan, took the time to sit back and have a look and say, "Okay, how can we be relevant to businesses and business women in in Ireland today and so They have taken place, um, but they're changed up a little bit to reflect the challenges that all businesses and employees have been impacted by since COVID-19 hit our shores.
3: Mm. There are a number of new categories this year as well as the traditional ones.
8: That's right. So um, we traditionally would have had, for example, um, an employee category, and this year it's really around a transformative employee. So somebody who has... Um, helped their organisation to adapt in the situation that we have been in for the last number of months so maybe changing processes or working from home of course has been a big one and people who have managed that uh, very well. Um, Another new one is our solo businesswoman. so we have a lot of people like myself who work on their own and who don't have that support um, of a team for example so we've we've been able to acknowledge that um, person who works on her own We have online business transformation this year, of course, which is a huge one because a lot of of businesses have had to take what they do in a physical form and put it into a virtual world. And that has been a huge uh, change for an awful lot of businesses. Um, And then we have our usual, like, uh, emerging business and business innovation. Not all transformations are online, so we want to uh, acknowledge that. And our very brand new one this year is Power Within, so the Power Within Champion. And that's really a reflection of um, a, a female businesswoman or business employee who embodies the the values of Network Ireland, so that's leading, supporting and collaborating and somebody who has really shown their true colours in this, this crisis period um, would be the power within champion.
3: Yeah, I'm reading from your, your release here, it recognises those who overcame challenges in business arriving, arising from COVID-19. It's kind of a, a bespoke award for the year that's in it really.
8: It is really and I think we can't ignore the the challenges that have been thrown up this year and you know we used, at at the beginning we used words like unprecedented so we didn't really have a map to follow or we, we didn't have something to say well this happened before, here's how you can do it again. So people really had to dig deep and you know, adapt and I think, you know, overcome fear. I, I don't know about you, but at the beginning of this, there was just that sense of fearfulness. Yeah. You know, what is this? And, and I've, you know, some people lost their jobs, some people had to shut their shop fronts, you know, and, and the uncertainty of the future. And I think gathering ourselves together and kind of saying, okay, we're here now, how are we going to forge forward? And so it is really born out of that sense of, you know, th- the spirit of business and determination and that huge ability to adapt mm.
3: never was it more true than it is in 2020 a- adapt to survive
8: absolutely oh. absolutely yeah. and and to do it in I think in a positive way we can be very fearful and we can be very you know we can have great trepidation and i suppose the awards are about optimism you know let's let's believe that There are great times ahead and we are going to get there and we are going to get through this. Mm. And I suppose awards anywhere are about that sense of optimism.
3: Before I talk finally about the awards and and the presentation of them, you just touched on something there that that I personally, since day one of this uh, on the programme, have been trying to say frequently, we will get to the end of this, there will be an end of this and everything will be okay one day. Sometimes it's hard to keep that mindset in place
8: it is and you're absolutely right um and i think that's where network cork and the members have been incredible um in in their support of each other and when you have that day where it's all a bit tough and you can't see the light you know there is there is somebody there who will kind of talk you down and say, look, come on, Barbara, it's, it's going to be okay. And, and I think we've tried to engender that sense of optimism through our virtual events. And we, we've had a number of things going on since March to try and you know, keep those spirits up because you're right, you're absolutely right, it, it will come to an end and we will be hopefully shaken but not stirred. Mm. Um, and I suppose we have tried as, 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 a, as a network to, like yourself, keep giving that message to our members.
3: Okay. Now, are the nominations still open?
8: No. So they've been closed since the 17th of July. Um, and so the process then is to for the judges, and we have three amazing judges this year, if I can call them out. Go ahead. We have um, Sharon Corcoran, who's the Director of Economic Development and Tourism with Cork County Council. We have Ernest Cantillon, who is the owner of Electric and Sober Lane. And we have Elmarie Kelleher, who's branch manager with AIB. So their um, daunting task was to go through all of the applications. And we had almost 40 of them. And to, yeah, to score and to try and find finalists and winners. Okay.
3: And the entries will be, are the winners rather, will be announced on the 28th of August. How will that be done?
8: So we're working on that behind the scenes and we're hoping for something that will probably be, be a blend of in-person and virtual because, you know, we will be limited by numbers and we will have social distancing guidelines and all of that. So our, our committee are working very hard with FOTA to figure out what that might look yeah. like. Um, but, you know, we will try and make it the very best experience we can because this is a celebration. Yeah. It's a celebration of women in business and it's a celebration of, you know, that's that, uh, resilience and determination. So we want to really make it an exciting event yeah. and something to look forward to.
3: And, and you have Elaine hosting the, the, the final, the, or hosting the, the presentation, formerly of this parish, you may not know.
8: I did not know. I'm delighted
3: to hear that. <laughs> 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 Elaine Crowley from TV yes. from Virgin Media will be very hosting the, the the awards yes. ceremony at the end at the end of August. Barbara, good Absolutely. to talk to you.
16: Thank you. Take care. Bye bye. Take care. Bye bye. Eighteen fifty
3: seven one five nine nine six. But a sad news. Very sad news emerging uh, business wise now. Tui um, used to be called Falcon. All that holiday. TUI holidays, Falcon holidays, brochures, travel agents, you know them. You've travelled with them, I certainly have. TUI has announced it will close 166 high street shops in the UK and Republic of Ireland. You could kind of see it coming, couldn't you? They'll continue their business online, as far as we know, but Sky News reporting this morning that they will close 166 high street stores the UK and in the Republic. And that's obviously jobs gone. Hundreds of jobs gone in those offices and those shops, which is sad news. Something else that will be disappearing, Uh, as picked up in the papers this morning, Uh, Argos won't be publishing that great big catalogue anymore. Do you know the big thing? And when you finish reading it, you can use it as a doorstop or you can... Prop up with Gammy Leg on the table. Yeah, that Argos, big, thick yoke. I remember when Argos opened down in Mahan Point, for example, they they had youngsters giving out catalogues into windows of cars as you headed in towards. (laughs) The bloody things were about five pounds weight and they went lobbed in the windows. You nearly crashed the car. Huge flipping things. Well, in an email to the staff chief executive of Argos of the parent company, Sainsbury's, I didn't know Sainsbury's owned Argos. Uh, They have said that most customers are now browsing and ordering online. We've decided that the time is right to stop printing the Argos catalogue. Removing the printed catalogue helps us to flex our range and offers and to be more competitive on price. The Argos catalogue has been out since 1972. 1972 so no more Argos catalogues they will still bring out the Christmas one but no more Argos catalogues that's sad news from the world of business just talking about the awards there with Barbara I should mention that you're voting now as we speak for the Cork's 96 M Best of Cork Awards taking place on air on Friday the 14th of August Uh, it's time to vote now there are a load of different categories for the 2020 awards. Like for the best gym, we've narrowed it down to Fitz Fitness, District Health and Leisure, Body Mechanics, EMF, Lifting, uh, and F and Fit Balancholic. And the best burger, we've narrowed it down. Oh, this will be a hard one to, to call. Oh, I couldn't call this myself now. Not in a month of wet Sundays could I call this. Son of a bun. Bunsen, Cockbull, the West Cork Burger Company, or Hillbillies. There's a coffee category. There's the work, the best workplace category. The Imperial Hotel, Apple, District Health and Leisure, the Cope Foundation, and the Skull Harbour Hotel. And then we've got bars. We've got the hotel. We have the best hotel, of course, is in there. Best best hotel? Where's that? Where's that list? Where's that list? Where's that list of the best hotel? Oh, I can't find it. Oh, there it is. The Montenati. The Imperial. The Skull Harbour Hotel. They've come up in a couple of categories this year. The Kingsley and the Metropole. You can vote by going on to www.corks96fm.ie and vote for your favourite. The awards back for 2020 with Corks 96 FM. That is sad news from T- Tui. Did Jer want to come back to talk to me about the tampon ad? Uh, if he did, I'd take him for a minute or two before we finish, um, <laughs> because he was he was he was giving out about it. Uh, where did I find his, his, his comment there? He, he was upset by it and he had to leave the room. He says, it's all for feminists, uh, but it's a step too far. He said, it's almost pornographic. Ah, uh, Here a second now. What's, what's pornographic? Would someone please tell me what's pornographic about this?
0: Welcome back. We have got a great show for you today. So, tell me, how many of you ever feel your tampon? You shouldn't... It might mean your tampon isn't in far enough. you got to get them up there, girls. Example, our special Tampax Pearl Compact Grip Design is your guide to comfort. Just pull it, lock it, and put it in. Not just the tip, up to the grip. So get them up there, girls, with Tampax. Do
2: I, I know. it for
3: comfort. I know they'll probably get a call to the office now to be asked to explain myself as to why I'm playing a band-aid twice. <laughs> It just did. It's great. No reason why it's banned. Even the Advertising Standards Authority couldn't understand why it was banned. They just banned it. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. So trying to get Jar. Unfortunately, he's not answering his telephone. That's that's a pity. I'd love to have had a little bit of a Barney with him to finish out the day. That's it. Uh, Dear, is back tomorrow and on Tuesday, and I'll see you Wednesday morning.